This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. You know, I'm in the opinion business, and I am not afraid to be wrong. Because I'll climb out on a branch once in a while. Like last weekend, in the run-up to the college football week two, I picked Washington State in an outright upset, home underdog against Wisconsin. I also picked Cal to beat Auburn. Thought the Bears should have beat Auburn. But I'll tell you what I was wrong about, at least to this point of the season. I was wrong about Coach Prime and Colorado. I had them at best one and one in my book, heading into week three. Here they are sitting at 2-0. and Colorado's win over Nebraska resulted in 8.73 million viewers Saturday watching on Fox. 8.7 million people tuned in to see a Colorado football game. It was a year ago that Colorado didn't register, didn't matter. Best Pac-12 regular season game ever on Fox, highest rated at least. Tenth most watched game in college football ever on Fox. And Fox's second most streamed college football game in history. The numbers aren't lying. For a second week in a row, it was Colorado football that America turned to and pivoted to. And it's going to be the same thing this weekend. Fox and also the college football game day crew. Hell, everybody's going to Boulder to see Colorado State play Colorado. Remember all those months ago when Coach Prime first got onto the scene? 57 players immediately told, you better get in the portal. Might as well put the whole program in there. We already know what we got coming in. <laughs> Y'all just don't know what we got. Okay, 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 okay. Good. I understand. I understand. Hey, hey, we already know what we got on the way here, baby. They probably at the airport right now. We already know what we got coming in. They just don't know. It's no way that I could put uh, new furniture in this beautiful home if we don't clean out the old furniture. (laughs) (laughs) We already know what we got coming in. So just to start off at the beginning of the season, Coach Prime says he knows what he has coming in. Also, this is a guy, let's be clear, music videos, baseball, Major League Baseball, the NFL, anything he has touched, he has been successful with. He has been a success as an endorser, success as a musician, success in baseball, success in football, Hall of Fame-wise, and now in college football, changing the way people think about coaching. And I do think there will be copycats when it comes to what Coach Prime is doing in Colorado. I don't know if he can keep it up for the whole season. There are people who believe he's going to go undefeated, he's going to win the college football playoff. There are others who believe that, you know, A, they looked vulnerable against Nebraska, that maybe TCU wasn't that good. 
and they'll get Colorado State this week. And I had somebody ask me today, what do you think college football game day will do in week four if Colorado is 3-0 and and Oregon is 3-0, and and they should be? And Dan Lanning, you remember the comments that the Oregon football coach made uh, when he was asked about Colorado leaving for the Big 12 Conference? Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember what, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. You remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, throwing a little shade at Coach Prime. And you don't think for a second that Colorado, who has positioned themselves in this us-against-the-world mentality, the narrative of, hey, the media's out to get us, nobody believes in us, week two it was Nebraska, the game was personal, everybody uh, looking at uh, Colorado football and Colorado football looking back going, okay, that's all right, we don't need anybody to believe in us. Like Dan Lanning provided some fuel for the fire, and I kind of liked it. I like that Lanning isn't afraid to tell the truth, and he was speaking truth. Colorado hasn't done anything. We all know that. It really wasn't that much of an insult. And in the end, though, you better be sure after Saturday's game when Colorado plays Colorado State and the focus pivots to that Pac-12 opener in week four at Autzen Stadium, you better believe that Coach Prime and the Colorado football players are going to be talking all week about how they were disrespected, even though they kind of weren't. I think it's a great story. It's great for college football that Colorado is wonderful. It's making a lot of coaches and athletic directors think differently about how impactful the transfer portal can be. And it's redefining sort of what we see as success when you talk about a new regime coming in and taking over a program. No longer, after Coach Prime and what he has done so far in two weeks in Boulder, are coaches going to be able to come in, take jobs, and go, hey, I need three years to get this going. You don't need three years if you can navigate the transfer portal. You don't need three years if you can bring some star power. It's been demonstrated at least through two weeks and certainly through the 8.73 million TV viewers that Colorado had. It's been demonstrated that if you make the right hire, if you generate enthusiasm, and you get a coach in the front door who believes, you got a chance, you got a puncher's chance in year one to matter. It's really interesting to me that you got like Fox's game day crew and the ESPN college football game day crew Everybody headed to Boulder for this Colorado State-Colorado game. Now, game day should win, and ESPN-ABC should win because this game is on their network. But Fox is going to try to uh, you know, side stream and, and uh, suck off uh, as much of this enthusiasm as they possibly can. They've done it for two weeks. Seven-plus million in week one watched, 8.73 in week two. It is a growing story, and it's what a lot of people are talking about around college football. Will Oregon take the wind out of their sails, though? I kind of wonder about Oregon at home. Does Oregon have the better players? Yes. Does Oregon have the home field advantage? Yes. Does Oregon have the better coaching staff? We'll see. Because I think it comes down to what the coordinators at Colorado will do versus what the coordinators at Oregon will do. And you can make an argument to, to this point of the season that the offensive and defensive coordinators at Colorado have had a better start to the season than the OC and the DC at Oregon. Keep an eye on that battle as it unfolds. Here's what Coach Prime had to say when Oregon left the conference. You heard Dan Lanning talking about Colorado leaving. Yeah, 
same team talking about us right. But that's not quite what Dan Lanning said. Remember, Lanning said, what have they won? Not a big loss to the conference. You better believe that week four, Autzen Stadium, huge football game. Want to pivot a little bit, but I'll take your phone calls on that front at 503-417-7575. Would game day dare go to Colorado football games in back-to-back weeks? Is it possible that you know ESPN's college football game day would go, hell, we were at Colorado last week, let's keep this party going, and head to Eugene for a back-to-back week? And what would that say about college football if the game day crew did that? Fox is just sort of parading around the country following Colorado football right now, and I can't blame them for it. Uh, 8.73 million viewers is an awful lot of incentive. But I'll take your calls. Will they keep it going? Will it be a rude awakening in weeks four and weeks five when Colorado is playing Oregon and USC? What uh, what do you think the future holds when it per, as it pertains to those two teams and the talking that went back and forth? I sort of liked what Dan Lanning said, but now Dan Lanning's in a position at Oregon after having made those comments that he's going to have to back it up, right? You know, go back to what he said. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. You remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. I love that about Dan Lanning. I love that he'll tell the truth. In fact, afterwards, I said, I heard what you said. I said, somebody had to say it. It's true. Colorado hadn't won a damn thing. And here they were leaving the conference. Now Dan Lanning and his football team will have to back it up at Autzen Stadium coming up in week four, a week from Saturday. The week three games, look, there's some interest and there's some intrigue. But, you know, by and large, I didn't think that there are there, there aren't the huge matchups. Washington's going to East Lansing, Michigan, to play a Michigan State program, Mel Tucker. Man, he has been in a blender. He's suspended now. And I'm really curious to see how the Michigan State team will react. I fully expect them to look distracted. I think it's probably a gift to Washington that, that uh, you know, you have a football team that is going in there and you have a whole bunch of problems swirling overhead. A lot of people upset at Michigan State about what's happening to Mel Tucker. And I don't see this as a rallying point for the team. Like, I don't see the Michigan State team rallying behind Mel Tucker and trying to make that a, uh, a cause that they get behind. I just don't think that's there. But keep an eye on that football game. Other than that, as I look around the conference, I just see a lot of opportunities for teams like Washington State and Oregon State to take care of business and win their games. Oregon State's at home against a San Diego State team that hasn't been great this season, 24-and-a-half-point underdog. The Aztecs are coming into Research Stadium. And, you know, you've got a, uh, an Oregon program that will play Hawaii at home. Should be a very easy, winnable game for the Ducks as they prepare for that big week four that we've talked about. Pivoting a little bit on that note, uh, Stephen, let me ask you, you know, Dan Lanning and the, and the comments that he made about Colorado, Coach Prime, how much do you think that's looming in the background of week three? Because I think week four is going to be huge around here. Yeah, week four is going to be huge if both these teams can get wins, and it looks like they should. I mean, you look at the lines, Colorado's in the 20, 20 21, 22-point favorite right now, maybe a little more. Oregon, 38-point favorite of Hawaii. So seems like both teams are going to be 3-0 going into that game, and you know uh, Coach Prime's going to use that that clip all week long, saying no one believes in us, the Pac-12 doesn't believe in us, who you know? Who these guys think they are? Let's take it personal because they did that against Matt Rule and Nebraska. And Shador talked about that after the game. How he he felt disrespected by the whole Nebraska team and Matt Rule. So there's no question in my mind that three and zero Oregon taking on three and zero Colorado. Coach Prime's going to use that against Oregon and Dan Lanning all week long for his players. And I do think like you talked about game day, John. 
it's it's weird to me that they're going to Colorado this week when they have a great opportunity to do it next week. Now maybe they're going to do it back to back weeks. And they're going to go and follow Colorado, but I hope you know I. I, I expected them to be in Eugene when it's 3-0 versus 3-0, but can you really just follow them around? It just seems weird that just, at both stations, both networks are just going to follow around Colorado yeah. all season long. Like I don't like that. I don't like that they're yeah, just going to do that. That's what TV does, though. Let's be real. That's what TV does. They shovel coal. You know, in the winter when it snows, what do they do? It's snowmageddon. They have all the news. Everybody get out. Everybody get out on a freeway overpass. Let's show how the bad the weather is. Morning crew out and, you know, somebody has to go up to Mount Hood. Like, you know, they, they shovel coal when they have an opportunity to shovel coal. And, you know, for whatever reason, Colorado football, because I think of the spotlight that Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, has brought to the program, Colorado football is the story. And I also, think, I also yeah. think it helps that the Pac-12 is so good this season. Like, they can say, you know what, they're one of the best teams and one of the best conferences right now and whether they are or not one of the best teams still remains to be seen like they have updated win totals it's still only six and a half for colorado like vegas still doesn't necessarily believe that they are a true contender in the pac-12 i don't either and i don't, I don't either. either i'm a big colorado guy john <laughs> i don't think they're a contender for the pac-12 like that gauntlet of a schedule we talked about it all offseason how are they going to get wins they got a couple but man are they really going to go seven two in the pac-12 no way i don't think that they won one game so far i didn't think they would win the opener and last week, I kind of watched them. They, they came back down to earth, but Nebraska wasn't that good. I don't think Colorado State's going to beat them either. So I think they're going to be 3-0 and going into the first week of the season. But I kind of wonder, too, if ESPN and Fox are signaling to us that they don't believe in Colorado football. Because why else would they be saying, hey, we've got to get there in the early part of the season while this is a story it, it's possible that this story goes away. Like, you know, it, this, the carriage turns into a pumpkin in week four and week five when it's Oregon and it's USC, and those teams are putting 40 or 50 or 60 points on Colorado. And I think that's a very real possibility that Colorado's going to get run out of the stadium in those weeks. But, uh, again, we're going to have to, you and, know, pay attention to that. And that's the reason why you're right on it, is that they're going to go to back-to-back Colorado college game days because they want to get it in as you know as hot as it is right now. They're going to go now. Yeah, they're going to beat Colorado State. But we all assume that Oregon's going to put up 50, 60 points on this team because we know that defense isn't very good. Defense isn't very good. They cannot stop the run. They cannot stop the run, and they can't run the ball. And at some point, that becomes a problem. And I think Oregon... USC, I actually think the worst, the nightmare matchup for Colorado is Oregon State because I think Oregon State will run the ball on Colorado, and I don't think Colorado can stop them. I think they can run 20 times in a row and you know, walk away with sevens at the end of every drive. I just think Colorado will not be able to stop Oregon State, and I think that's their nightmare matchup, and I think the best chance Colorado has of staying with Oregon is putting the ball in the air and banking on the fact that Oregon's defense at times – even in the you know the week two win at Texas Tech looked like last year's defense, and so maybe they can get into a hey we'll match you score for score game, a high scoring game with Oregon, much like the TCU game. Uh, but I th- I think USC's going to be able to outscore them. I think Oregon will outscore them. I think Oregon State will run the ball all over them. I think uh, Washington State would be a problem for them as well because I think Washington State's defense is better than advertised. Uh, Washington will beat them. Utah would beat them. I think they are that I, I do think the pumpkin carriage metaphor is a real thing. You, but give them credit though. Like I mean, to this point of the season, they've done something I didn't think they could do. They're and, undefeated. And to give them credit also, that coaching staff is a really good coaching staff, right? Like I think I think that's what we can agree on. Also, is Coach Prime, whatever he is, 
he's a good coach, and he's brought a lot of excitement, but he's also re, you know, got re, uh, results on the field. And then Sean Lewis, offensive coordinator. Sean been, Lewis is a great coach. He's been awesome. Charles Phenomenal. Kelly stepped up, had his team to step up on the other side of the ball on the defensive side last week. Like, this is a well-coached team. So, you know, for all that being said, like, maybe the talent's not there, John, but they may be able to compete in some of these games because of that coaching staff can get them ready for it. I agree with that. Let's go to the phone line. Sean, welcome to the conversation. What's on your mind, man? Hey, John. I hope you and your family are well. Um, so you kind of just took some of what I was going to say. Uh, the problem is they can't stop the run and they can't run the ball. And, you know, when they play the teams you just listed, uh, you, you basically said the other thing I wanted to say was um, you it would don't get into a verbal duel with Deion Sanders. Hmm. Just talk X knows about your team. Talk up your team. Don't say anything negative. Don't give anything to him because – he can turn a mountain, a molehill into a mountain, and he will twist every single word you say, and he can motivate. They're well-coached, like you said, and he if there's one thing that Dion can do, it's motivate. Yeah, you, can, you better believe, like, you know, I, I talked to Dan Lanning about this a couple of weeks ago. You better believe that Oregon is focused on Colorado already, even though Oregon's got a home game with Hawaii. Oregon has a couple of staff members on their staff that do advanced scouting. They prepare game reports and scouting reports for the opposition in the spring. I don't know if you have the book on Colorado in the spring because you had so many new players at Colorado. Maybe that's an advantage to the Buffaloes as they play this game here uh, coming up in, like, what, 12 days at Autzen Stadium. But I think the caller's right. I think if you're Dan Landing, you don't want to get into this big verbal sparring match with Coach Prime. You don't want to make... Your sound bites try to go pound for pound with his. No, you want to make this about your offensive and defensive tackles. You want to make the game about yourself. You want to make the game a challenge for your players, saying, hey, this is uh, just like the Texas Tech game, uh, an opportunity for, as a team, to go out and, and demonstrate that you know, they can answer the bell when, the, you know, when they're called into the spotlight. And it's a, great, it's a great stage. It's great theater. I love it. The Pac-12 has to love it. And, you know, Fox ends up being the big winner through the first two weeks of the season. I think that's, that is evident and undeniable. Now, Stephen, would game day really do this week's Colorado State-Colorado game and then piggyback and say, hell, we're just going to go straight to Eugene and stay with this Colorado story? Yeah, I, I think they would, and I think they are. Uh, you know, Fox did it with big noon kickoff with with Colorado. They put back to back weeks. I don't see why ESPN would not do the same same exact thing, especially when you got this type of matchup. You know, with the national brand like Oregon and all the uh, conference realignment stuff. Like, the, all eyes are going to be on that game, anyways. You might as well just have game day follow it. I, I don't see what the problem is because you're going to get good talking points until they lose. Until they lose, because you're going to get yeah. good talking points from Coach Prime. You know, whether it's talking to McAfee or all these guys that he opens up to. Like, you're going to get the quotes that you want for Dion. So you got to keep it rolling as long as they keep winning. It could be the last time. I mean, if you frankly, if you think about it, after week three this week, where they host Colorado State, they will go to Eugene and then they play USC. And I do think those games are going to be both like like sky-high ratings for both of those games. But I also think this could be your last chance in Week 4 because let's just say Oregon boat races Colorado in Week 4 and then USC does the same thing because then game day's not going to the USC-Colorado game in Week 5. Now, they're going to skip. They're going to go elsewhere. But I also think, like, you know, you've got some other highly ranked teams, including Ohio State, that are playing uh, in at home against a ranked opponent in Week 4. There are also some other games you have to get to. What is it? Here's a question I have for our for our listeners. 
What is it about Colorado and Coach Prime and the act in general that draws in so much interest? 8.73 million viewers. Again, the highest rated Pac-12 regular season game ever on Fox. 8.7 million viewers. What is it about Coach Prime that makes people want to tune in? I want you to weigh in. 503-417-7575 is the number. We'll take your phone calls. Mike's holding. He's going to weigh in. I want your call as well. What is it about Colorado that captures people? What is it about Colorado football and Coach Prime that sucks the audience in? I'll admit, I watched it. I'll talk about what I think it's about in the next segment, but I want your take as well. 503-417-7575. He's outspoken. He's been successful in multiple sports. You know, you may not remember Deion Sanders hitting uh, a home run and two doubles in a game. Same five days later, he goes and he's playing for the Falcons. He scores a touchdown on a punt return. Nobody else has ever done that in that span of time. Uh, you tell me, what is it about Colorado and Coach Prime that you think draws people in? It's undeniable that Fox and ESPN are both going, hey, we got to get to Boulder this weekend. Nobody wanted to talk about Colorado and Boulder a year ago, so it is Coach Prime. He's the difference. But what is it? Is it the story? Is it is it his talking? Is it the fact that, you know, he uh, has created, uh, you know, a spectacle on a weekly basis? Is it is it the narrative? Is it the content? Is it the team? Well, you tell me, what is it about Coach Prime in Colorado that makes you turn tune in? Mike in Portland is calling in. He wants to talk about it. Mike, what is it? Well, John, if you notice, um, the market and the promotion is like the fight game. When Dion comes in, he got the people around him, the entourage, and they uh, are blo uh, blocking him off from the crowd like the fight game. So he's sort of just like uh, Floyd Mayweather when they walk into the arena. Also, don't be surprised, uh, like Floyd Mayweather, if you don't see a rapper rapping mm. when, the, when the Colorado football team walk into the stadium. I can see that. Also, you guys missing the point about when you say the Ducks are better than they Colorado. Are. I'm gonna tell they you are better. Something. I'm, okay, I'm going to tell you something. You can look it up what, what Muhammad Ali said about a champion. He said champions aren't made in the gym. Now, see, you guys looking at the gym. Champions are made from something that comes deep down inside of them. He said skill is okay. He said, but greater than skill yeah. is you got to have the will. See, I, I think the, the Colorado players got more will than, than uh, the Ducks. Okay. And I think these guys on the Colorado, when they were kids, they had to pick themselves up out of the mud puddle by themselves. They were becoming champions when they were little that. kids. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Shador yeah. Sanders was not down in the mud puddle picking himself up by himself. Oh, his team was down. Them guys that he got on his team, they're dogs. They come when he go into the gym, he tell them, he said you guys going to have to perform so you can buy your family a home. He, yeah. These kids come from nothing, man. He's telling them that. Yeah, but so, I've seen I've seen football programs, Mike, with coaches, you know, who have players who have come from very little, 
And, you know, sometimes the players are great, sometimes they're not. But what is it about Colorado and this team, not that makes them good, but what is it that makes them interesting? Why are people interested in watching Colorado? Because, because man, they're doing something they never been done before, and they're doing it against all the odds. See, most people that don't know, that know nothing about people or football, they get all their talking points from Las Vegas. They let Las Vegas tell them who's good and who ain't good. When you're letting somebody that's somewhere else that ain't never played the game, sitting around in suits with cigar in their mouth, telling you who's good and who ain't good, <laughs> you've already lost the game. I love that. Talk All to right, you later. Well, talk to you later. There it is. Uh, to Mike's point, celebrities who were at Folsom Field Saturday, 53,000 fans at Saturday's game, 8.73 million watching on television, uh, Terrell Owens, T.O., Pro Football Hall of Famer, was there. Michael Irvin was there. Shannon Sharp was there. Sharp said he flew his private jet all the way to Boulder just to see the game and brought his friends. Wu-Tang Clan was there. How about that? You know? Like, uh, you get some celebrity sightings. Oregon's going to have to match that. Like, who can Oregon bring to Autzen Stadium? You know, the guy from Modern Family? That's not going to cut it. You're going to you're gonna have to reach deeper. Uh, Mark in Portland. Mark, you have the floor. Go ahead. Hey, uh, Mike is that that guy that you you know you make a bet with, and he's celebrating in the first quarter after his team scores a touchdown. I mean, <laughs> they haven't played a conference game yet. The right. Washington State, if we if they got as much hype as as uh, Deion Sanders in Colorado gets, Washington State is has surprised people this year. They're undefeated. There's eight ranked teams in the top twenty five. When has that ever happened in the Pac twelve in Never. their last year? It's Never. frustrating because. You want to be proud of that and say, hey, the Pac-12, but they're going to be extinct next year, basically. So it's frustrating that way. But, I I mean, Colorado, I think, is is uh, exciting to us because they, they are better than a lot of us thought they would be. They've won two games out of conference that we didn't think they'd win. But so, you know, and the other thing about Oregon going to Texas Tech, John, if I'd have known, if I'd have done my research, they had, what, 23 straight home openers that they'd won and they'd won like 48 out of 50 out of conference games there in the last 20 plus years so going in there and winning a football game it's not an easy trick they're yeah. a team that plays real well at home and not so well on the road like yeah, Oregon it, used to do in the 80s and 90s and or look Oregon's good okay I don't want like I nitpicked Oregon after that game but I nitpicked Oregon because I believe Oregon can have a special season I believe Oregon can go uh, you know, I think Oregon could win 11 games, you know, if things went right and they put it together on the defensive side of the ball and offensively if Will Stein gets back to uh, being creative. I think Oregon could be really good. I also think Oregon could be like 8-4 and four if, if uh, the, you know, the wheels come off. And so I think I'm trying to think, like, how good was that win against Texas Tech? It was really good. It was a really good win because it's a road win against a quality opponent, and I think Texas Tech's going to win like seven games. I think they're going to be a decent team in their conference. Is it better than the TCU win at TCU? Yes, I think it is. I, but it didn't get more attention. It wasn't uh, as exciting a football game. That TCU-Colorado game was exciting. It's a great game to the end. Colorado barely won that game. Oregon, I felt, didn't play that well. And won their game, and they were they felt like felt like to me they were going to win all throughout Mike the middle of the fourth quarter. I thought Oregon's coming on here they go they're going to win the game, but I I'm looking around the conference and I'm going okay what's the best win by any team in the first two weeks of the season, 
And you could say Colorado TCU is on that list. You could say Oregon, Texas Tech is on that list. I'm going to put that uh, Utah's wins over both Florida and Baylor on the list. Like, Utah's got the best two wins of anybody. And then Washington State over Wisconsin. Pretty damn – that that was a pretty good win, even though it came at home. So I think those are the teams that have, like, the big quality wins in the first two weeks of the season. And let's see how this plays out. Like, it could be – Colorado's got to play Oregon, USC, then Arizona State, Stanford. They'll be 2-2 two and two maybe in conference play at that point. Then it's UCLA. Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State, Utah. But, there might not be a win there. I, I think you're downgrading the Colorado in a little too much, John. Like, I, I get it. But going back to that game, Colorado was in control of that game from the get-go. They, I mean, they gave up the lead in the third quarter, and they got it right back. They didn't give up. It's not as if it was a fluke win. And you can look at the Oregon game. I would say that was more of a fluke win than the Colorado win over TCU. Like, I feel like you're not giving the TCU win enough credit for Colorado right now because th- then in week two, that defense stepped up. Maybe maybe that defense is real. We're maybe, wrong about this. Maybe I want to see TCU play some games. I want to see Nebraska didn't look good to me. Nebraska was terrible. And Texas Tech lost at Wyoming week one. Maybe they're not as good as we think they are. I mean, maybe. It, I, I don't know, John. I think you're uh, I think you're just still downgrading Colorado a little too much we'll right see. now. We'll see. We'll find out in week Let's four. Go. We'll find out. What have they won? We'll find out in week four. Greg's in Oregon City. Greg, go ahead. You know what, John? I, I think besides the, the greater story right now um, that Dion and, and the Buffs are getting right now, I think there's two components that the university and his staff are doing a really great job. Number one is they've got this social media machine that's being run by Dion Jr. And I think the rest of the country is paying attention to what's on YouTube, what's on all the social media channels. Because there's a connection to these individual players, right? Like you've got Travis Hunter. He's got his own YouTube. He's got his own IG that's actually being run by Dion Jr. Um, same thing goes with Shadur Sanders. So there's like this deeper connection that's going on at a broader level, which I think is causing a lot of eyes on the team and the brand. But I think secondly, I think all eyes are on Dion right now because the transfer portal, the way he's been able to work is redefining how college football is being played. And it's really the future of, of college football. So, uh, you know, I think those are the two main things that people might be missing right now. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think the transfer portal is interesting uh, at face value. But I had a couple of coaches, assistant coaches who work that I've known a long time, who reached out to me after the TCU-Colorado game and said, this is going to change how athletic directors hire. Meaning, go get somebody who can really be active in the portal Go get somebody who can be the face of your program. Hire an offensive and a defensive coordinator as an offensive head coach and a defensive head coach and let the head coach be the transfer portal coach whose whose job it is to funnel talent into the program. It's a really interesting outlook. And I think Oregon, in some respects, tried to do that with Dan Lanning and before that with Mario Cristobal and before that with Willie Taggart. I think Oregon was trying to model this. And I gotta believe down deep. Like, do you, does anybody think that down deep, that the University of Oregon is looking over at Colorado and going, "Damn it, we should have done that." Not, I'm not saying Dan Landing shouldn't be the coach, but I think it was it was kind of an Oregon-like move to bring in a personality like Coach Prime and and hand him the keys. Very very innovative move. You're right about that because it was one of those things where. We, we talked about Coach Prime when he was at Jackson State. Like, he's going to get a big-time job, but how big of a job should he get coming from Jackson State? And we almost even questioned, like, should Colorado be hiring this guy? 
But now in hindsight, like, why would anybody not hire a guy like this? Because it is right. It's all about recruiting in college football. It's all about getting the talent on the field. And then you got your coordinators to coach them up. Like, I think it's a great strategy. I don't know how much it works for everybody, though, because Dion's. How many, a, yeah, how many Dion's are there? There's is one. The Dion's one on yeah. one. Like, I mean, you could, like, I like Dan Lanning. I think he's very personable and charismatic. But, like, he's not a guy like Dion where he's going to come in and just completely change a culture. Like, Oregon had a culture that he built. Dion built Colorado's culture from the ground up. I don't know how many guys could do that. Well, I think it was his act, right? It's his culture. He just walked in the door and he went, all right. Everybody's gone. Everybody's out of a job. Everybody's in the portal. Fifty-seven players goodbye, and you know this is how we're going to do it. And I, and I said at the beginning, I liked a lot of his messaging. I still don't believe they're a great team. I think they're going to be three and zero, and then they're going to be three and two, and then they're going to be maybe they might be five and two best case scenario heading to their bye week in week eight, and then it's UCLA lost five and three, Oregon State lost five and four. Arizona is going to be the game, I think, that we're all going to look at and go, hey, if they can win the Arizona game, they're bowl eligible. If they can't, they're a five-win team. But I still have them now at five, maybe five and a half, six wins uh, if I was setting a line on If you this. had to bet, would you say that they're a bowl team at the end of the year? It, they're going to be 3-0. and oh. It's really hard for me to go, okay, the, the games that I see on the schedule that they can win are Arizona State, Stanford, maybe Arizona. That's six. So I would say... I'll give them six right now, but they got to be really good in those three games. And, yeah. and Arizona's a maybe. Uh, the good thing about the Arizona game for them is it's at home. And, you know, they have to go to Washington State. They have to go to Utah. They have to go to UCLA. They have to go to Oregon. They're not winning those games. And, and I think the home field advantage is going to be huge at Folsom Field this year. Like, the crowd is already hyped enough for Dion around the nation. But that was a great environment against Nebraska. I do think that may help them. Uh, in a game or but two, Nebraska's quarterback was so bad. He was—I mean, you saw it. He was—he couldn't catch a snap. He, he was bad. He was terrible. He was bad, and maybe that's why the defense stepped up and had a great game. I mean, it, it'll. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going after the game. They were going. You know, we we uh, we forced two fumbles. We had an interception. I was like, you didn't force a fumble. The guy just dropped the ball. <laughs> yeah, you landed on the football that was on the ground. You didn't really do anything. But again, we'll find out. It, it's 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 week four against Oregon. Like we're gonna find out what Colorado really is made of at that point because they're gonna beat Colorado State. We know that. We know that this offense can score. Can the defense get a stop against a good team? I mean, I I can't wait, John. Mike is in Centralia. Mike, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, I agree with you record-wise. Uh, I think they're you know, they're going to lose to Oregon. They're going to lose to USC. Um, but here's the thing that I think he's doing. How many coaches do you see on Twitter and all that other stuff? So he's using the social media, and he's, he's smart. He should be using it. So that's why he's getting the national attention, too, because all these young kids, not only in Colorado but across the country, are seeing this. And then, you know, you got the thing with the jerseys, another small thing where someone got offended because he thought he was calling the players dogs. Well, he wasn't. All the kids call each other dogs. Right. So he uses that to his advantage. Then he brings the old lady in, you know, um, God bless her soul, uh, Mother Jean or whatever her name is. He met her before the spring game, and he's going after that that age market. You know what I mean? He's just he's a smart guy. Love him or yeah. hate him. He's a, he's a marketer. Guy. I mean, he's a he has a nose for marketing. He has always been a terrific self promoter, and he's in that position now. And and I think you're right about that. I also think like you know, there's an element to promotion, and I know this because look, I I'm in the business of promotion with this radio show and with my column at johnconzano.com, 
And I have to tell you, when it belongs to you, when the brand belongs to you, when it's my brand on this radio show or my brand with my writing, I like to be in control of a lot of the, you know, what happens with the brand, how it's positioned. I like to have as much of that in my control as possible because I care more than people that would just be doing it as a job. And I think to his credit, he's always understood that. And he has always understood his own brand, Primetime, Coach Prime, and he has brought his own PR crew in. It's obnoxious for the rest of us because on Media Day, I'm dealing with not the Colorado University crowd. I'm dealing with Coach Prime's people who I've never dealt with before, and they're in the entertainment business. They're not in the sports business, so it's just a whole different animal, but he is totally in control of all of that. The other cool thing I like about Coach Prime, John, is when was the, when was the last time we've seen a Hall of Fame player like Dion? be a really good coach and have yeah. success as a head coach. I, it's very rare that one yeah, of these guys... This is not Clyde yeah. Drexler coming and saying, I want to coach the Houston basketball right. team. I, I kind of relate this... it, like, when the Blazers had Carmelo, totally different because Dion's way better than Carmelo was, but Carmelo was just, a, like, cool. Like, you wanted to watch him. You wanted to see what he did because he, he just had that coolness factor in him. Dion, man, week one, wearing that white hoodie with the shades, like, you have to admit, he was cool out there, and you want to watch that guy succeed. And then, of course... Like, I watched him as a kid playing with the 49ers and the Cowboys and the Falcons just dominate. And so now it's like to watch him dominate on the field and now off the field, I think it, you know, it's one of those things you don't see very often. It's just one of Look, a kind. even if they go 5-7, and seven, okay, let's say they don't make a bowl game. Even if they end up in that position, let's just say the wheels come off. They go 4-8. and eight. Oh, it was a great 2-3-0 and oh start, and then they went 1-8 and eight the rest of the way. It's still going to be looked upon as a success. Like what Colorado has done to this point with season ticket sales and the attention and the branding of Colorado, they have made Colorado football cool. Michael is in Eugene. Michael, welcome to the show. John, what did you think of Lubbock? Pretty hot down there, huh? If Lubbock, uh, I, I would compare it to Mars with an airport. Nicest people in the world, though, I'll tell you that. If you've interacted, uh, not the students necessarily, but some of the nicest people I have ever known in my life are from Lubbock, Texas. They're just great people. That's what they have. They're not on an interstate. They just have commerce. And uh, anyways, uh, yeah, the Ducks are are going to show Colorado a different look. Nebraska handed them two turnovers. I watched Shadur closely. He threw some great balls. He also underthrew some balls that I think our secondary would have taken advantage of. So that party, you asked who we can bring in on the A-list. It's going to be me and 58,000 of my best friends. <laughs> and Colorado is going to lose in two weeks in Austin. And I bet it's not that close, at least. You're calling your shot. Calling his shot. I know what I'm yeah, he knows. He, he's calling his shot. I want more phone calls. 503-417-7575. The main competition for ESPN's college football game day in week four of the college football season. The big game nationally is Ohio State-Notre Dame. And I kind of wonder if ESPN, in front of an NBC game featuring Notre Dame, if ESPN would bring the game day crew there. There's also, um, let's face it, in week four, Washington State, Oregon State in Pullman. Is that game a bigger draw than Colorado, Oregon? 
for ESPN. It's a better, it's a more interesting story, I think, because you've got the two teams left behind playing each other. Could be interesting, but I don't think ESPN's going to pick it over Coach Prime. Do you, Stephen? Uh, no, I don't. I, that is a good point, though. That I mean, because that is an intriguing game, right? Because of uh, the Pac-2 situation. Might be a better game. Might yeah. be a better game because uh, Oregon may boat race Colorado. That is very well true because uh, I think both those teams, Washington State and Oregon State, are really good. Uh, yeah, there's no way they can go against Colorado, Oregon, though. There's no way they we'll can see. do that. We'll see. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers coming up as well. What a crazy New York Jets flavored story into the season for Aaron Rodgers over before it started a lot of jokes circulating out there I didn't think it was that funny I just I, I know he brings some of the criticism on himself he's kind of a nutty buddy but uh, I uh, I felt bad for Aaron Rodgers I did uh, we'll talk about that coming up Sam's in Portland Sam what makes Colorado Colorado I John I, I just think that it's Deion Sanders I used to there was a time where I couldn't stand him but he's just great. He tells you what he's going to do, and he does it. And he, he came into Colorado. Nobody wanted that job. They had one win last year, one win. And I don't even know who they who they beat. It was probably a lower-level team. And they come in. He changes the entire roster. He brings in his kids. He says, either you're with me or you're against me. He changes the whole culture. And I think you are downplaying the TCU game because they were in the national championship last year. And I think people are intrigued because they a lot of people, I think, want to see him fail and fall on his face, not me. I'm excited to see what, where this goes. Like, what if they do win seven, eight, nine games? Does he continue to stay at Colorado? Does he get a better, uh, better offer and go somewhere else? So I think it's just who Dion is, who he's always been. He's a great athlete, a Hall of Famer. He tells you what he's going to do. And he does it, and the kids are buying into it. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's got a coach. He's got to win the games. But he's got those players to buy into it, to believe in him and in themselves. And I think that's what, what is so intriguing to everybody. I think half the country is probably waiting to fall on the space, and the others are just like, how far can he take this? And I think he's going to I think he's gonna surprise. I think he splits those games between USC and Oregon. And and I think he may surprise people in Oregon. I hope so, as a Beaver fan. <laughs> there you go. There it came out. Um, look, it's easy to look at Oregon State and say, what makes Oregon State Oregon State? And it's Jonathan Smith and its culture and its development of players and its messaging that over and over is very consistent and really understated messaging. What makes Utah Utah? It's Kyle Whittingham, very similar to Jonathan Smith. It's culture and but it's culture built over 15 17 years with the same coaching staff and really principles that carry down from Kyle Whittingham's father to him and you know you get why Utah is Utah why is Oregon Oregon and well you look at the influence of Nike you look at Phil Knight you look at the innovation you look at the base and the structure that was set up by Rich Brooks and Mike Bellotti and then you sprinkle Nike on top of it Oregon becomes Oregon, cover of Sports Illustrated, cool uniforms, brand, brand, brand. It makes sense. What makes Colorado, Colorado? Is it just Coach Prime? Is it that simple? It is right now. It is right now, John. It's Coach Prime and it's all Coach Prime. Let's go to James and Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. James, go ahead. John, how's it going? Going well. Well, I mean, I guess what makes Oregon Oregon is that every one of those guys that plays at Oregon, according to Mike, is like privileged and has never been through hardship. 
You know, and I'm impressed, John, that you continue to take his calls because every time he's the Georgia guy, right? Calls in and talks about how. No, no, that's Roy. Roy's Georgia guy. Uh, Mike, you're talking about Mike? Yep. The first well, Mike called. Well, I think here's why. Here's the thing. Like, I've always felt like even if someone calls in and they're off their rocker, they're speaking for some segment of the audience. You know, like it's. I don't. I would hate for us all to get together and be like, Oregon's great, Oregon State's great, nobody's, you know, call, everybody else sucks. It wouldn't be very much fun to have that discussion, but I get what you're saying. Like, sometimes I, I uh, look sideways at some of the things that are said, but uh, go ahead. What what do you think makes Colorado, Colorado? Well, I think that um, Colorado makes Colorado because uh, Prime does appeal to a certain uh, people who, I mean, I'm not, I kind of find him a little cringy. There's things that he says and the way he rolls and uh, his flamboyant. It works when you're winning, but when you lose, he kind of just looks like a, a dumbass. But, I mean, it, it just – we'll see what happens. I mean, I think that as far as, like, dogs go and keep saying that my team's all dogs, you know what? That that can be said about any team in any sport. True, true. Anywhere in the nation. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of guys out there that don't come from, you know – uh, well means that this is their opportunity and they're going to seize the opportunity and you better watch out. And I don't think that, I mean, he might harness that more from certain individuals than maybe some other coaches, but that, that program is no different currently other than the hype than a lot of other teams around the country. Yeah. And so, there was something that was said too about Colorado football, you know, coach prime was talking about 75% of his locker room, African-American and, it makes people uncomfortable, and I and I I stopped there, and I was like, hold on, like just about seventy five percent of most locker rooms in college football are African American, so it's this isn't a race thing, but there is an element to you know seeing Coach Prime, a successful black man who's in charge of a football program that is front and center, that probably does make some people uncomfortable. I I do like some of the messaging that he puts forth about you know character and how he wants his guys to conduct themselves. But I also think there could be a rude awakening coming for a program that has seized the spotlight. Leave it here. Well, it wasn't a good look and it wasn't a good scene for the New York Jets as they had so much hope and so much anticipation and expectation. You know, they were looking forward to their season. And then Aaron Rodgers goes out onto the field carrying the flag and a lot of electricity, and then suddenly he was in the tent on the sideline. And uh, everybody looking at what happened. And, you know, I don't know. Steven, do we have any sound from the New York Jets game last night, how that kind of all went down? Um, I, I, or the week one New York Jets? I pulled some highlights of the, of the actual game, not of the Rodgers injury, though. It, it was just so – no, you don't have to. You don't have to, but I, I – because, I mean, there really weren't any highlights. And I don't mean to make light of it. Do you think it's been poor form by the people who are jumping on Aaron Rodgers, tweeting out photos saying he's in a darkness retreat? I get it. It's funny. But I never like to make fun of somebody who actually gets hurt, even though Aaron Rodgers is kind of obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't think they're that funny. Uh, but you know, it, but is it bad form? Is it a bad form? Like, would you go to somebody like a friend, and who was making fun of Aaron Rodgers? Would you be like, um, dude, uh, you know, 
he's in the darkness retreat or hey it's it's you know Robert Sala his face on the sideline when this was going on he looked horrified yeah I I probably would make a joke I, I'll be honest I might make a joke <laughs> I, I mean just you know I, yeah. I, I I don't know the guy I don't know Aaron Rodgers I don't have a problem with him so I you know I I, I could see myself you know doing something like that I just feel bad for the guy you know and here here's here's let's this is some of the stuff that was said about Aaron Rodgers before the season okay Aaron going to the Jets immediately vaults them into the conversation with the, the the Kansas City Chiefs. And I don't know if we've really appreciated how big a deal that is. We're talking about a team that's gone to the AFC title game five years in a row. We're talking, they're, they are a pseudo dynasty. Maybe they're not the New England Patriots for 20 years dynasty. And to think that one 40-year-old quarterback coming to a team immediately puts that team there with the one that's gone to five AFC title games, that's a really big deal. Really big deal. Remember when Adam Schefter broke the news? Oh, Laura, we have breaking news right now. Uh, breaking news. Aaron Rodgers officially is being traded to the New York Jets. And it just came down moments ago in a trade involving six picks. Aaron Rodgers is going to the New York Jets. It's official. It is happening, finally, after all this time. We've been waiting for this trade to happen, and now it is. And here are the details of the trade that just came down. The Jets are sending their first-round pick this year, their second-round pick this year. Well, hold on. Big swagoo, hold on. Their second-round pick next year, it's a conditional pick. They get back, they get back the Packers' first-round pick this year and a fifth-round pick, but the trade is coming down. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Jet. It is official. And essentially, here are the terms of the trade that I can... All right, he went through that. It looks like the Packers, because that that second-round pick is conditional or probably not going to cash in on that second-round yeah, pick. Yeah, my dad is a Packer fan, and he told me it was he had to play 70% of the season. So uh, oh. it'll, it'll be a second-round second pick. He made four plays. <laughs> That's four not 70%. plays. And he is out. Uh, we got to practice against him a couple years ago, and I got to get to know Robert a little bit more. And... I've always loved what he's all about. We played him in San Fran a, a few times, and mostly they got the best of us. Um, but I liked the way that he was leading, his coaching style. Um, a big reason I'm here, i got to mention, is Nathaniel Hackett, who's here. Uh, Hackett and I became really close friends for three, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, three years in, in Green Bay. And I love him like a brother. And I believe in him. And I'm... Uh, really happy to be back working with him again. Obviously, Joe has got a great track record so far of drafting some incredible players, uh, but it takes a system, and obviously Robert has the uh, the right sauce. So I'm excited about getting to work with him and Brick and uh, Marquan, former teammate of mine, and uh, it's a great staff. But you know, I'm an old I'm an old guy, so I want to be a part of a team that can win it all, and I believe that this is uh, a place we can get that done. Well, he made four plays. Uh, Patrick Mahomes tweeted out, hate that man, praying for the best. And he punctuated it wrong, so it actually came out as hate that man, like I hate that man. Uh, and then he had to use the edit feature on Twitter to change it to hate that, comma, man, praying for the best. Uh, and Patrick even tweeted out, I knew I was going to need the edit button one of these days. Um, a lot of people, I think, just going, that isn't what you want to see in football. The NFL can't like this because the New York Jets were such a good story, such a hopeful story. But um, 
a lot of people immediately now pivoting to what comes next for the Jets. Like, wh- what happened to their season? Did their season four plays in just go up and smoke? I, I kind of think it did, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like Zach Wilson. I think eventually he'll be an okay quarterback, but I, I don't think he's ready to lead this team. And it's too bad because this defense for the Jets is unbelievable. I mean, intercepting Josh Allen three times, forcing or, uh, you know, recovering the fumble in the fourth quarter. It, it just sucks because Aaron Rodgers was kind of, you know, the quote-unquote missing piece to that team if he could be really good. That offense has some weapons as well. So I, I do think that the Super Bowl chances are kind of gone this season. And, you know, it, just with the hype, it's, you know, Hard Knocks was following the Jets, John, and it was usually Hard Knocks is a lot of time it's, you know, about the undrafted guys being cut or, like, trying to make the team this was about Aaron Rodgers on Hard Knocks the entire time. And, I, you know, I didn't like that as much. I like seeing the stories. Um, it was good to see Xavier Gibson, who was one of the big stories in the Hard Knocks, get the punter touchdown. But it was mostly about Aaron Rodgers. And so all the hype okay, of him. Okay, but the Jets win the damn game, right? I mean, like. But, it was, you know. but, but we know that Zach Wilson can't lead this team to Super Bowl, <laughs> right? I would think not. But. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like the season's over for the for the Jets. Like, what's the best case scenario? Seven, eight wins? The the Jets are now sixty five to one to win the NFL championship, and I'm trying to think where they were before. I think they were in the twenties. So I think the the numbers it's essentially the bottoms dropped out of the market for them when it comes to winning. I just think it's sad because, you know, the the problem is football is a quarterback centric game. All right, and we know this because we watch teams in the NFL. We watch teams that are. Um, in college football playing deep into the season as contenders for the playoff. And they all have one thing in common. The teams that are in the AFC and the NFC championship game and in the college football playoff all have a quarterback who's worth a damn. They have a quarterback who can either manage the game and uh, distribute the ball to great playmakers around them, or they actually have a quarterback who is the playmaker. And that is a consistent refrain. And it's why last season I think it was pretty remarkable what Oregon State did with Ben Gulbrinson at quarterback. And, you know, Tyson Alger of the I-5 quarter had this great stat today where he was kind of looking at the last year and Ben Gulbrinson down the stretch uh, for Oregon State, even though he went 7-1. and one, You know, Ben Gulbrinson completed 54% of his passes on throws that traveled 10 yards or less. If the ball went 20 yards or more, he had, a, he had 11% of his passes. It, it, was, uh, it was remarkable that... You know, you couldn't, you couldn't get the ball down the field, and you know it was like, you know, just a, it was a uh, the Stanford game. He completed a big long pass to win the game, but other than that, it was really difficult for them to stretch the field, that, and so for them to go on and win ten games. That's a good comparison, though, because last year we didn't really. I mean, Oregon State, yeah, they kind of had a chance for the Pac-12 title, but I didn't really consider them seriously because of Gobranson. But this year with DJ. Yeah, they can win the Pac-12 easily with the way they play, and I think the same with the Jets. Aaron Rodgers, he's that guy that can get him to the Super Bowl. With Zach Wilson, I mean, the, the the ceiling isn't high, so that's a great comparison right there. Yeah, and I think you you have to look at you have to look at that season, but I think the NFL is different. I think you have to have a quarterback. The set the the game's too good, the players are too good, the defenses are too good. Where you can't just system people all the time, although there have been some systems historically that have helped players look better. I, I think Joe Montana always would have been Joe Montana, but he was in a system that Bill Walsh built that was remarkable. And I think Dan Marino would have been Dan Marino, but he was in Don Shula's system. But I, I think sometimes when you get a system that fits the right player, 
it, it's just magic. And I was really interested to see Aaron Rodgers and the Jets play well. And Anna told me this morning, Anna was like, do you remember in the preseason when they had that scrimmage with the Buccaneers, he was complaining about their offensive line? I was like, what? No. Like, this is what you think about? Like, this is, you know, you're married to a sports writer and a radio show host. This is what you're thinking about? So she was, I, I suddenly went looking for that clip, and it was true. Aaron Rodgers was all upset in training camp uh, over the practice, the joint practice they had with the Buccaneers. He apparently got hit too much. But do you think that was it? Do you think the offensive line bore some responsibility for Rodgers going down? Or or do you just think his Achilles was going no matter what at some point? I, I... I kind of think that we should have seen this coming a little bit. And me and Judah were talking about this earlier today. Like, he is 39 years old, and he had a calf injury in the preseason and in training camp. And a lot of times it's been known that a calf injury can really, you know, weaken that Achilles, and it makes him more vulnerable to injury. So being 39 on the turf, like, maybe we should have seen this coming, John. Like, he was he was bound to get injured at some point. Like, the body just yeah. doesn't hold up over time. So I tend to think, like, this probably was going to happen at some point soon. It's not the offensive line's fault, and it's just kind of, well, Aaron Rodgers is 39 years old. The, the question now for me is, is, is he going to come back? Is this the last time we see Aaron Rodgers he's play? He's got to. He's got to, but right? Does he, like, I, he, he's already kind of made it clear, like, he doesn't really want to play that long. He's got to come back from this. And it's an Achilles. This isn't like, you know, we have to wonder. This isn't like, you know, we have to wonder if his knee's going to hold up. Like, that. Well, that's an injury that you can come back from and others have come back from, I would like to see Aaron Rodgers come back. It, but that said, he is kind of a weirdo. Like, and people, like, I just, I think it was really interesting. You know what happened? He got hurt last night. There was a lot of people who got salty. There were, there was a lot of salty people on social media taking jokes and, you know, and jabs at him. And I do think he brings some of that upon himself for some of his views. You know, he was talking, you know, he asked a teammate, do you believe that in this 9-11 thing once? And he also, um... You know, has been uh, prone to uh, just doing some unorthodox things, and his his uh, you know his view on the vaccine didn't didn't go well with everybody. And I so I I think he brings some of that criticism upon himself. I still think though, when anybody gets hurt, even if it's your nemesis, even if it's somebody you don't particularly care for, you kind of got to have some empathy for them. Man, it's still there are a lot of salty people out there. I don't know. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to play some Punch It Audio coming up in the next segment. Uh, I wrote today at johnconzano.com uh, about a lady that is 81 years old. I did not plan on writing about this today, full disclosure. Like, I'm having a lot of fun with the writing endeavor because it's new. It's I'm doing it the way I want to do it. You know you've been here as a radio listener. You've heard me kind of talk about it for the last year and a half or whatever. But I got a message today from a reader who was concerned that she had paid for a full subscription to get my column at johnconzano.com, but still found herself encountering a paywall. So some of the stuff that I write is just free to all subscribers. If you are a free subscriber, you get it. If you're a paid subscriber, you get it. And then there's some other stuff that, you know, I got to pay the bills. And so that is paywalled. And so Linda Watson, 81 years old, reached out to me and said, I need some help. I called her back. Uh, turns out she loves sports. She said, I pay, I signed up for the free subscription. I really enjoyed it. I upgraded to paid and I keep getting the paywall. And so I became Linda's customer service rep. Her tech person happens to be one of her grandsons. Shout out to her grandkids who basically took a look at what was happening and rectified the issue before I even called her. So by the time I got on the phone with her, she was like, Oh, it's fixed. We're good. You know, and we just chatted for a while. And I got to tell you, like, it's, 
one of the beautiful things that has come from having my own writing endeavor is the one-on-one connection I'm getting with readers. Like, I got to meet a reader that never would have happened before. And we talked about, you know, the the column that I wrote about the Whitman County judge, Gary Leiby, this week, who was, uh, you know, the presiding judge in the Oregon State, Washington State thing. And he was at the he was at the county fair with funnel cake and all that. And then we, we got on the topic of what she does in her day. So Linda tells me she plays bridge. She has three children and five grandchildren. She spends time with her friends. She goes to lunches. She likes to go to a casino once in a while, just like you, Stephen. And in between that, she reads my column. And I, I got to be honest with you. There's, I'm just grateful that I get to be a small part of her day in, in a writing capacity. In the same way that I'm grateful that I get to be a small part of your day with this radio show. And she shared with me that her son was drafted by the San Francisco Giants and played minor league baseball. And now one of her grandkids, Kevin Watson Jr., Beaverton High School kid, currently with the Angels in the minor league system. She's incredibly proud of all her grandkids. She told me about her, another grandkid who's playing football and other things. But I told her I might give her a mention on air today. I certainly mentioned her in the column today. Not because she messaged me with a problem. She was having a technical issue, and she's 81. She was having an issue with, hey, she wasn't signed in, and they figured it out. But I'm giving her a mention because I'm just happy she's out there. happy she's reading me. I'm happy you're listening to me. All right, I want you to leave it here. Coming up, we're going to play some Punch It audio. We'll take a trip around the world of sports. Uh, It will include some Bo Nicks. We will talk about USC and Punch It audio. We won't tell salty Aaron Rodgers jokes, so you're free to do them in uh, your social media timeline. Also, Damian Lillard, will he report? Will he report to Miami? Will he report to Portland? Would he report someone else, somewhere else if he is traded? We'll talk about that coming up as well. you got the BFT statewide. I appreciate that you're here. Punch and Audio is next. Leave it here. Do you enjoy dreaming? Steven, do you dream? Do you uh, remember your dreams? I do remember my dreams sometimes. Sometimes I uh, I have some night terrors, I feel like, so that's not good. You know, I, I was reading a New Yorker piece about dreaming, and they were talking about how adults spend about two hours of uh, each night in uh, REM sleep, which is that deep sleep where during REM sleep you're kind of, uh, you have the ability to really deeply dream. Um, did you know that fetuses in the third trimester in the third trimester, stay in REM for about 20 hours a day. I did They're not just know that. No. Dreaming. All, what are they dreaming about? Yeah, what are they? They, what they are, haven't done anything. What's their little brain thinking about? And, and so people are like scientists are looking at that going, you know, have we misunderstood? Because for a long time, like people thought, well, of course, there's some kind of washing of your brain that happens if you do get that deep REM sleep. Like your brain, there's certain chemicals and enzymes and proteins that are released into your brain that kind of work as like a car wash for your brain and and that's very important but also people have suspected that like you dream about things you're trying to resolve that are in the real world but if babies are like fetuses you know are dreaming for 20 hours a day what are they dreaming about like i'm really into i'm i gotta know and i gotta know too i like i go through phases where i didn't sleep much over last weekend because I was traveling, did the radio show on Friday, traveled to Lubbock, Texas, 
you arrive like at midnight in the on planet Mars. It really is like Mars. It's flat. It's hot. It's dusty. There's an airport. It's Mars with an airport. Somebody said that, and I was like, that is a great description of Lubbock, Texas. Um, and then you wake up and. Uh, your body clock's all off, and then there's a football game, and then I got on a 6 a.m. flight. I got back to the hotel, did not get to bed till 2.30 in the morning after the Texas Tech-Oregon game just because of the time difference and writing and, you know, packing up and all. And so I finally fall asleep. I, I got to get up at 4.30, so I slept like two hours after the game, and then I come home. I don't remember dreaming because I wasn't in REM sleep mode. But I got to tell you, Sunday, I slept like a baby because I was catching up. But what happens when you are dreaming? I don't know. And, and do you remember any of these dreams? Uh, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. It, there's been certain ones that I can remember even when I was like what? little. Like what? Um, what would you dream about? There was one when I was really little where I was on a spaceship and I got shot by like an alien and a laser and I melted. Because mm -hmm. I, I just watched, I believe, The Wizard of Oz. Don't, doesn't one of the characters melt or something? That one turns into a puddle. And I think I turned into a puddle in that one. I've also had dreams I think where one of the witches did. Yeah, and I've also had dreams where um, I was like I'm at like a beach house, and I know I'm standing up and I'm walking around, but I know I'm standing up in real life doing it. Like I, I have some real sleep problems. So I, I got night terrors. You have you get, like you, in general that you still have these problems sometimes. Yeah, I haven't had them for a while. Um, I don't know why they happen, but I've had some uh, scary some scary events when I'm sleeping. Do you know? Um, you know when I, you know that thing you do where you kind of twitch and you're about to fall asleep and you kind of jolt awake. Yeah. And you kind of sit up. I had that happen to me on the plane flying home, and I, I but I try to play it off after it happens because you know that the people all around you are like, "What the hell just happened to that guy?" I, I had I had a ton of them when my kids were babies, and I I would have dreams that they were in the bed and like they were getting suffocated by a blanket, so I would like start oh, digging man. in the blanket. Yeah. That's would, really morbid. I know. And I was trying to save them, so I would like be digging in and like pushing my wife off the bed, and she's waking me up like, Stephen, they're not here. And she got mad at me. You're okay. I'm fine. It's though. going to be okay. I'm okay. I'm all normal. Right. I'm normal. All right. We're going to play some punch it audio here. Uh, best sound from all around. We got it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, it was said uh, once upon a time that Lubbock, Texas had nothing but Texas Tech football and a tortilla factory. Consequently, fans bring tortillas to the game and they toss them at kickoff. It's a tradition that I saw firsthand in Lubbock, Texas. Bo Nix saw it as well. Punch it. Uh, I've never had tortillas and water bottles thrown on me during the game, so that was unique and interesting. Um, you know, it's uh, always tough to go on a road environment. You know, I've played in loud stadiums, and, um, you know, this one was, um, you know, a good environment and uh, one that you really got to lock in and communicate in. But I felt like, you know, the, the noise didn't bother us any. Uh, you know, I felt like it was just a, a normal road game. Yeah, I don't think the noise bothered him, but something bothered Oregon. 14 penalties, more than 120 yards in penalty yardage. Didn't look at their best. It's still, it's a road win. Am I nitpicking Oregon? Probably. Am I being too hard on them? Probably. But the bar for me for Oregon is this is a team that could win 11 games. A team that could go to Vegas. A team that could potentially be 
uh, in line for a college football playoff berth outside in. Like, they're in that top 10 or 12 teams in the country that you really think could have a shot to get there. Uh, This week, they'll get Hawaii at home, a bigger test in two weekends, Colorado. And if you're an Oregon fan, really, you're looking down the stretch this season because after the Colorado game, it's Stanford on the road, then a bye week, then on the road to Washington, home against Washington State, on the road to Utah, Cal and USC at home, on the road at Arizona State, Oregon State at home on a Friday. It's a gauntlet from about week seven on. they got to get it together now. It's very important. I do think you're being a little nitpicky, John, but I want to hope that this game at Texas Tech gives them some type of confidence going on later on the season, like you said, at Washington or something like that, where they know they can go on the road, they can withstand a, you know, a, you know, a run or two, and they can take a punch, and they can fight back and get back in and claw their way back in. Because Oregon is that talented to get to the, you know even the college football playoff this year. So I, I want to yeah. say that this is hopefully good, but you are right. Like there were some problems on Oregon side. There were some problems, and look, and you have to, uh, you know, people will say like, you know, I have we have three dogs in our house. We have one dog that is uh, more of a puppy. It's a pretty good dog. It chews some things up, drives me crazy, but you know, it's a pretty smart dog. We have a second dog, is older, older dog, and she's smart but a little neurotic. And then we have a dog that's older and he's not very bright. Okay. And when I when I will command them to do something, I lower the bar for the dumb one. Okay? I do. And and you know, I'll say, Hey, come here and he'll go the opposite direction. The other two go where they're supposed to go. And I just go, you know, he's uh he's not quite right. And uh and uh, I don't like I'm just making a metaphor here, but you know, I don't I'm not lowering the bar for Oregon or Oregon State. These are smart dogs. D A W G S dogs Joel Klatt USC he thinks they're really good they looked really good against Stanford punch it USC is damn good if you just take a look at what they're doing on the year USC is averaging almost 60 points per game this season they've scored 56 in every single game they were up 49 to 3 at half 49 3 at half scratching my head because that's like I can't even fathom that this team is averaging five points per drive when Caleb Williams is on the field and averaging over nine yards per play. That's the best in the country. This team is a lot better than last year's team. I'm not going there. I want to go there, but they gave up 28 points to San Jose State in the opener. Gave up 14 to Nevada in uh, their second game was in week one. And, you know, yeah, they put 56 on Stanford. It was an impressive performance. I just don't think we've seen them tested at all, but they look about the same to me as they did a year ago. It's the kind of stuff that they were doing a year ago. They're at Arizona State coming up on the 23rd. They're off this week. They have a bye. Then it's Colorado in week five. So let's talk after week five. If USC beats Colorado 56-10, beats Arizona State. They're going to beat Arizona State bad. But, you know, then later in the season they'll get some tests. But let's not get too far ahead. It's a really good offensive team. Caleb Williams is great. They're supposed to be better on defense. I think they are. Bear Alexander was a great addition in the transfer portal. But uh, 
Let's not get too far ahead. Caleb does look better, though, this year, which is amazing that his Heisman Trophy winning year last year, I think. I just don't know about the competition, you know? It, and maybe I'm I'm just a hard ass. I don't know. Nevada, San Jose State, Stanford. Stanford. Come on, let's not declare, let's not hand him the trophy yet. Not yet. Shams Charnia covers the NBA. He had some comments about Damian Lillard. Will Lillard report to Portland, to Miami, anywhere else? Punch it. I expect Portland and Miami to re-engage before the start of training camps here coming up in the next two and a half weeks. And uh, really at this point, I'm told the only two training camps that Damian Lillard would, would report to, in theory, Portland and Miami. So if a team like Toronto, for instance, were to trade for a Damian Lillard, I, I do not believe Lillard would even report. Uh, I believe that's, that standing trade requests would still be there if he were to be traded to a team like Toronto or, or, or anyone else really that wants to take a chance at this situation. And so... I think teams around the league, ever since this trade request in early July, they've understood a guy like Damian Lillard at the age of 33 with $216 million left on his deal over the next four seasons. Him joining their program and wanting a trade immediately is incredibly unideal. And so you look at this situation, the, the one thing you keep coming back to is Miami and Portland. Are they able to get a deal done or not? And this, the league has really been on pause since early July with a lot of the major moves. Everyone's been waiting on this, and we're still waiting to see what exactly happens with Damian Lillard, Portland, and potentially Miami. Other reporters refuting that, saying that's not true. Lillard would report. Here's what I'll say about it. You know, I reached out to an NBA general manager at when the Miami trade request was first made, who told me that the Blazers were not inclined to trade Damian Lillard to Miami. And if if uh, he if a deal didn't get done, he did not. This this general manager did not believe that Lillard would sit out. Bob Witsit, former Blazers team president and general manager, also told me he did not believe Damian Lillard would sit out. That said, I just took a look at the DraftKings odds for Damian Lillard's next regular season minute. Which team will it be played for? Miami is minus two hundred. The Trailblazers are plus two seventy five. After that, a big jump up. Celtics at seven to one, Clippers at nine to one, Seventy Sixers at ten to one, Nets at fourteen to one, Spurs at eighteen to one, Toronto and Utah at twenty to one. There are some others as well. But Stephen, what team will Lillard suit up for in that first minute? I think it's the Blazers. Um, I just don't see a deal getting done with Miami right now. I don't think Miami is necessarily in a hurry to get it done as well. They're a veteran team who barely made the playoffs last season, made a run to the finals. I don't think they're worried about getting off to a good start. So it's one of those things where Miami, you know, Miami's only willing to give up certain players, it seems as if. You know, they don't want to give up a lot of their assets. They want to give up, a, you know, Pat Riley is trying to get the best deal possible, and I get that. And now Joe Cronin and the Blazers are trying to get the best deal possible as well. So, you know, I think he plays for Portland to start the season, which would be very awkward and interesting, but I think he suits up for the Blazers. I don't see another team hopping in at this point. But uh, I, I just think this report from Shams is something that, you know, Aaron Goodwin is trying to get out there because the, the trade talks between the Blazers and the Heat are going nowhere. But he wants to get Dame to Miami, so he's trying to, you know, fend off any other interest from any other team saying Dame's not going to come to your team if you trade for him, so don't even try. That's That was my take on it, but I think he's in Portland to start the season. Dan Landing, University of Oregon football coach, 
was asked to reflect on Saturday's victory over Texas Tech. Here's what he had to say. Punch That flight, it was a mixed emotion flight, right? We were extremely excited. I was really uh, proud of our team's poise and our coach's poise throughout that game, um, but also acknowledging all the things that, that we put in ourselves in and the situations we put ourselves in within that game. Um, but to be able to come out of that place in a hostile environment with a win uh, and a lot of things that we always talk about, Monday's our day to go to the doctor. We were able to go to the doctor and acknowledge a lot of things. Um, you know, one one being especially the penalties there in the game. You know, something we addressed, first thing we put up in front of our players today is, you know, a penalty and then acknowledging how that drive finished when we had a penalty within that drive, right? So false start, punt, false start, punt, false start, punt, right? Um, pass interference, touchdown, pass interference, touchdown, pass interference. So really just recognizing, like, if we eliminate some really um, – careless errors and, and figure out ways to drill those things in practice, it's going to make us a completely different team. Dan Lanning, I think, being real with his team about the fact that you can win a game and be happy about it, but also say, hey, we did a whole bunch of things we got to clean up. I thought Oregon's Week 2 game felt a lot like a Week 1 game for most teams. And maybe it's because they played Portland State and it was an 81-7 to game in Week 1. Maybe they didn't get a lot out of that. I don't know. They just look like a team that had some procedural issues. Too many penalties. Didn't like it. Josh Allen, Buffalo quarterback, frustrated with himself after losing. Here he is. Punch it. Yeah, trying to force the ball. Um, <sighs> yeah. Same sh Same place, different day. Just not a good way to start the season. At least you have your Achilles intact. Is that an Aaron Rodgers joke? Am I guilty of being a hypocrite? I think he just did, yeah. I did, but it's not. It's not. I'm not making fun of Rodgers. I'm just saying, hey. Trying to be positive. The, You're trying to be on the facts, positive facts, yeah. man. Look at the facts. You're doing okay. Robert Griffin III thinks he can still play in the NFL, but he still thinks the Jets' best chance to win is with Zach Wilson. Here's RG3. Punch it. When you talk about free agent quarterbacks, yeah. there's a reason that certain guys aren't in the league. It's because they're uninspired. But Foxy knows this. Some of these guys like Carson Wentz, Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick, myself, it's not that we can't play the game anymore. It's that we're a big distraction if you bring us in. I had a GM tell me this offseason, hey, man, I know you can still play. You look like you can still play. But if we bring you in, it's going to be a distraction for our starting quarterback. So now that your starter and Aaron Rodgers is out, you can potentially go and grab some of those guys and bring them in. But I will tell you right now, there's not a guy on the street or in any booth anywhere, including myself, that has a, that's going to give the Jets a better chance to win than Zach Wilson. None of us know the offense. Right. None of us have those relationships in the locker room. It's going to be Zach Wilson or nobody. You're not inspired by Zach Wilson, but simultaneously does give them the best chance to win. Is it possible that the Jets will find ways to win like they did without Aaron Rodgers in week one? Um, yeah, I mean, they'll get some wins because that defense is really good, but I think it's enough for, you know, eight, nine wins. Not going to be enough for the playoffs. They'll be right on the edge, but not good enough. Uh, do you do you buy that Robert Griffin III actually got told that he can still play? He hasn't played for years. I don't love him as a broadcaster. Do you think he can still go on the field and play, though? No. I don't think it would be pretty. I mean, I think he, I think he could, I think he could dare to be passable. I don't think it would be at all pretty. I don't think any of us wants to see that. They might, as well, bring, audio. might as well just bring Tim Tebow back.
bring Tebow back for one game, one mighty game? Uh, that's the question. I mean, do you need more than one game out of him? Because I think a lot of those guys could play one game really well. Uh, by the way, I saw a story today. Christian Capel, who covers uh, Washington football, had this great piece about Washington's inability to play and win games on grass fields. They did not win a game last year on a grass field, and historically they have been bad. They're playing on grass this week at Michigan State. Michigan State's got natural turf. They installed it like 20 years ago. They've gone in that direction. But I'm going to give you some numbers that Capel had that I thought were – I was geeking out on this. Um, Look, last year they were 0-2 on grass fields uh, with Kalen DeBoer. And the year before that they were 1-1 with Jimmy Lake, 1-2 the year before that. 2-1 Two and one year before that, one and three the year before that. Now Washington does not have a grass field. They do not have a grass practice field. There's lots of grass in Seattle, but they're not playing on it, and uh, that is an issue. How much do you think that really is a thing? Because I think you could argue too that if you look at the games that Washington lost on grass fields last year, um, you could make an argument that a it's difficult to win on the road. Period, regardless of what the surface playing surface is, but. Um, you know, there might be something to that. They're going on a grass field this week. Do you count that against the Huskies? Uh, it could be. Um, I will. I think Washington's still going to win this game. But you look at how they win games and how they score points. It's all about speed. It's all about quickness. And you know, you know, maybe they uh, they're at East Lansing. They're going to grow the grass out a little bit to try to slow you down and uh, muck it up and try to be tough and uh, just. You know, tough and dirty on the inside. Like, I, I, it is true. Like, I can see it, John, but I think it's more just it's harder to win in college football on the road, and you got to give those home teams credit to beat Washington. I, I don't put a lot into this, but I think a little bit you can take into account. I was looking at kind of the games that they struggled in, even, and you go back, they lost to UCLA in September on grass, and then they lost in October uh, at Arizona State on grass. And that was, uh, you know, their two-game grass thing. So keep an eye on that as Washington travels to Michigan State this week with the Mel Tucker thing hanging out in the background. Uh, right now, Washington is a 16 to 16 and a half point favorite at Michigan State. Road favorite, big favorite. We'll give our picks later in the week, but uh, keep that in mind. By the way, this season, Stephen, I am 12 and seven against the spread, 63 percent. It's not bad. It's not even your hot part of the season. Usually, no. you, usually you get hot during conference on conference games. So you yeah. know, what? I can't even wait to see what you get uh, I, later on this year. I started at zero and three this week. It really was troubling to me because I was looking at you know the morning games. I missed the Colorado game. I picked Colorado to win, but I didn't think they would cover. I thought it'd be a really close game. I didn't. I I thought Utah would win and cover. I lost that one by half a point, and I thought Washington would cover against Tulsa, and I lost that one by half a point. Like, I got, the hook got me. And so I lost two games by half a point, and the other one I totally blew. But I was 0-3 heading into the afternoon, and I was like, this is going to be ugly. I ended up 6-4, and so I went 6-1 and after that 0-3 start. And uh, feeling pretty good. The, uh, the uh, I, mi- I missed, uh, uh, and straight up I went 10-1. and I missed the Cal-Auburn upset. I picked Cal to beat Auburn. And they did not pull off the upset, even though I think they were uh, sniffing around it. But uh, we'll, keep, we'll give our picks later in the week. This season, I'm 12-7 and seven against the spread. I'm 21-2, and two, picking games straight up. So I'll give week three. I'll try to keep it going. I, my goal is to finish above 
uh, against the spread. Last year I was at 58%. I need to get to 60%. If I can do that, maybe I'll just quit everything and I'll go to Vegas. And you know, and because I can call games at a 60% clip, I should be fine, right? Yeah, 100%. Right? We'll be doing the show live yeah. from uh, Vegas Sportsbook. From the ba- Vegas Sportsbook. All right, coming up, we have so much more to talk about. I want you here for it. I was looking at a story this morning because I'm always uh, looking for stories that are interesting and different. And I found this story about two TSA agents who were arrested. And it it dawned on me that they have to be probably the two boldest or stupidest criminals that are out there. And that's saying a whole bunch. Two TSA agents were arrested after they were caught on tape uh, as you know you take your stuff you put your wallet you put your keys you put your sunglasses you put your phone your bag your laptop into the bin and it goes through the x-ray machine there are TSA agents who stand there apparently uh, a couple of the TSA agents were reaching in and grabbing things and putting them in their pockets and first of all I don't think it would take very long for people to go, oh, my wallet's missing, it went into the x-ray machine, didn't come out, before TSA would start to go, well, it must be in the x-ray machine, or let's go to the video. And they went to the video, and they found two TSA agents who were just, like, pocketing things, and it wasn't one thing. And as they went back and looked at months and months of tape, they found that these two TSA agents were regularly reaching in and uh, helping themselves to whatever they saw that they liked as the bins were coming through the line. It got me thinking about airport uh, baggage in general. And I can remember, because I have been working and traveling for work for a while, I can remember in the late 1990s, like 20-plus years ago, 22, 23 years ago, 24 years ago, finding that occasionally there were things that would go missing. Like, you know, there were you could tell that not, somebody had gone into your bag, whether it was TSA or whether it was somebody who was an airport employee or whatnot. Like, things were just not quite right. And I know that they sometimes open your bag and they do, like, a hand search or they see something on the film they don't like, they'll go into your bag. I know that happens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually, like, things that went missing. And you go, that is weird. Like, how could that go missing? But I have found that that doesn't happen to me at all anymore. And probably because I'm going to gather that the airlines themselves have got cameras on everything. Do you think, Stephen, like, you know, we talk about it in sports. We get 15 angles on every instant replay. We have cameras everywhere you go. In fact, my kid today had, you know, she called me and she said, hey, there was a uh, police detective that knocked on her door and said, hey, I noticed you have a camera on your house. We're investigating a crime in the neighborhood do you think we could get the surveillance footage of the camera? And she was asking me, like, hey, hey, how do I get this to the detective? And I was like, it's crazy today that I think people who are operating in the world would try to do anything illegal because of the number, the sheer number of cameras that are out there. And I don't understand. Like, the TSA thing drives me crazy because I'm like, do you not understand? Like, when you go through the airport, you can't even make a joke at TSA. Like, there is a TSA agent at the Portland airport who actually tells jokes. He's a funny guy. You go through his line and he'll say funny kind of dad jokes. Like Stephen, he'll say, why does uh, why does well, uh, Waldo wear stripes? Do you know why? No, why is that? Because he doesn't want to be spotted. Mm. Okay? <laughs> it's jokes like that. All right? He tells them all day long. So I told him, I'm going to have a joke for you. 
the next time I come through security. And so my seven-year-old told me a joke, and I said, I'm going to use that one with the TSA guy the next time I see him. So I go through his line, and I say, knock, knock. And he says, who's there? And I said, uh, oh, wait, hold on. Let me back up. I told it wrong. Don't you hate that? I said, uh, hey, why does the uh, chicken cross the road? Why did the chicken cross the road? Why is that? And, and he says, I don't know. And, and, and I said, uh, he was going to the idiot's house. And then I said, knock, knock. And I was, of course, going to say, he was going to say, who's there? And uh, I was going to say, the chicken. Right? So, so the chicken's at your house. You're an idiot. And, and I said, knock, knock. And he said, he stopped me. And he said, don't tell that joke. He said, because if somebody overhears it, they're going to think you're, uh, you're basically saying a TSA agent is an idiot. He said, That's a bad, this would be a bad place to tell that joke. He said, I know what you're going to do. Don't tell that joke. And so he was basically stopping me from insulting a TSA agent because you don't want to walk through there. You don't want to be making a joke about anything. You know that they've got facial recognition on you. You know that they've got you know every kind of detector possible. You know that all your stuff's going through the machines. How in the world can a TSA agent who's working there not know that they would eventually get caught? Like the only stupider place to try to steal would be like dealing blackjack at a casino. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah, I mean, it, the airport is one of those places where you you can't goof around. It's all it's all serious business there. Like I, it's it's wild to me that they even have jokes, but it, they really won't let you say that joke just because he saw, he stopped me. And because I said he was, you know, why the chicken crossed the road, and he said why, like, and I said he's going to the idiot's house, and then I, then I went knock knock, and he goes, I'm going to stop you, <laughs> like you know, don't like do other it. people are just going to think that he's an idiot, and they should. Well, be like there. somebody might overhear it and say, well, that guy called the TSA guy an idiot, you know, and he was like, I'm going to stop you right there. He, he just don't want, he doesn't want you to go viral, John. He didn't want to get me in trouble, and. But he knows me, and every time I go through there, as I'm going through, he's go, you know, he's telling me jokes, like dad jokes, over and over again. And it's a fun way to go through TSA, but that's as much fun as you can have in the TSA line. I also think that if you're an employee of TSA, um, how do I put this? I think it's a tough job. You're dealing with people all the time. I don't envy people who have to deal with... You know, you're dealing with a bunch of Karens and Chads who are coming through the TSA line, and you're also dealing with people who, no matter how many times they've flown, will act like it's the first time they've flown. I don't know what happens to people in the TSA line, but they forget all of a sudden who they are. They forget their ID is necessary. They forget that their laptop needs to come out of their bag. They don't know the rules when it comes to your shoes, even though it's pretty explicit. You know, if you're over a certain age, you don't have to take your shoes off. If you're younger than a certain age, don't have to take your shoes off. If you have TSA Pre, great, get in the TSA Pre line. But if it doesn't say TSA Pre on your ticket, why are you in the TSA Pre line? All of that stuff happens over. Is your water bottle empty? Do you have your laptop in a separate bin? Like, it's amazing to me. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I go through the security line with Anna, I literally have to go per station to station with her. And I have to say, do you have a water bottle in your bag? Are you going to have to go back out? Like, because it happens. It happens to her all the time. And I just think people are so focused on, do I have my bag? Do I have everything? That they forget it. So I, I want to say to the TSA people, bless you. You are performing a necessary service, and I'm glad that you're there. But I don't envy that you have to deal with people. All right, Punch It Audio is in the books. We're going to play the 5 at 5 coming up. I was thinking about jobs during the commercial break because uh, I don't envy the job that the TSA agents have in dealing with us, you, me, our friends, our families, our strollers. I don't envy that. Uh, worst job, 
I ever had. Um, I can name a few that were bad or tough. There's a difference between bad and tough. Like I worked, uh, I you know, I worked at three different pizza parlors when I was like a teenager. I was that kid working at the pizza joint. But one of the jobs I had was delivering Domino's pizza. I was like 17. Wasn't great job. You're dealing with people on the other side of the door, and we had that we had that special 30 minutes or it's free. So you'd be at like 28 minutes. You're hustling to get the pizza to the door. So you're going to get in trouble if you don't get it there. And they won't open the door. They wait like a minute or two. Oh, you didn't make 30 minutes. It's free. A hard job I had was I worked at a Christmas tree farm. The Hoey Ranch. I'll never forget it. The hard part about working at a Christmas tree farm isn't Christmas time. The hard part is... The irrigation pipes, the pruning, cutting down the stumps, removing stumps, doing all that kind of stuff. Sap on your hands, sap on your clothes, sap on your face. Yeah, Christmas time's better. Except when, like, a, a station wagon full of nuns pulls up into the uh, parking lot of the Christmas tree place. And the nuns say, uh, would you mind coming with us, young lad? And I end up out at the... Uh, far corner of the Christmas tree ranch where they have selected the exact tree that they want and none of the nuns uh, and the Blues Brothers are right they're penguins none of the nuns would get down on and and saw the tree and so of course I I volunteered I said I'll saw it down for you I'm down in the mud sawing the tree down and then I realized they've picked a tree that's way too big for me to carry they're not gonna help and so you are dragging this tree all the way back to their car and the whole time they're talking about whether or not they got the right tree. And you're like, you know, no, you could have picked one that was closer, closer to your car. You can help the Christmas tree farm people out by selecting a tree that is closer to your car if they're going to have to cut it and carry it. I'm just saying. Did you ever have a bad job or a tough job, Stephen, besides this one? <laughs> this one, especially, yeah. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I worked, uh, like I said, I've worked at Costco before at 4 a.m., stocking the Ooh. shelves. It's not easy. It's not hard, but it's not easy at the same time. Like it's a lot of work. You're always running around, making sure the uh, your section is always looking nice. Uh, what section did you get put in charge? Of? Uh, I was in charge of the food section for a long time, and then I uh, got upgraded to the freezer section. The freezer section okay. that is a hall where you're just hauling frozen chicken around and get a workout. It is a it's a legitimate workout every single what, day. What would be the worst section? Would it be like clothing or books where people are just throwing things all over the place and? <laughs> Unfolding them, I think so. Yeah, like the the clothes is where you go. Like everyone kind of pitches in with the clothes at the end because there's so much of it that is always ruined. Like you said, so I like, like Costco. Yeah, it's it's fine. I like Costco. I like Costco too. I just I you know the people there are fine. I don't have a problem with people that are there. It's just you know I, I'm glad I got out of there. I'll say that Keith Keith in Portland's called in with a bad job, and then we're gonna go to the five at five with Stephen, not Anna. Stephen is filling in today. Keith, go ahead. Bad jobs. Well, I'll tell you, I worked for Steinfeld's Pickle Company. Okay. And my official job title was a butt picker. So you sit on this conveyor belt, and as the little cucumbers come by on the conveyor belt, you pick off the stems, which That's... are called butts. You were a butt so, picker. I was a butt picker. How much did you make? How much did you make for that job? And what was the worst part? Did you like? Did your fingers by the end of your shift or what are they what is that raw no 
Well, I was only 14 when I took the job. And uh, one day a couple of forklift drivers came up behind me and grabbed me, took me off and threw me into a pickle vat. <laughs> I smelled like a pickle for a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There was the end of your butt-picking days. Well, then I got my second job because of that, because I went in and on the application I put. You know, what did you end up doing for work? I bet it was nothing to do with pickles and cucumbers. Actually, I was in the restaurant business for like 14 years. <laughs> okay. There you go. Well, I appreciate you calling in. I'll tell you what happened to me. I got away from that Christmas tree farm, and I, uh, to this day, apologies if you own a Domino's pizza restaurant, I won't order from Domino's because I saw too much of it. I want any of that. I want a real pizza, okay? I want a real pie. All right, Stephen, you're going to do the five at five. You ready for this? You stretched out? You hydrated? Let's go. Let's do it. The five at five. The number one story. Go. Well, number one, John, I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers. Of course, towards Achilles last night game, uh, Monday Night Football, Jets taking on the Bills. Jets get the win, though, in overtime. Xavier Gibson with the punt return touchdown. Uh, Xavier Gibson was one of the guys that was highlighted on Hard Knocks, so a cool little story there. Uh, but the Jets get the win. Aaron Rodgers' season officially done now, now that he is the torn Achilles. Jets coach Robert Sala has said that they are going to go with Zach Wilson. It's his team right now. They're not, and they will add a quarterback at some point, but it's Zach Wilson's team to go forward. Just a tough break there for the uh, New York Jets and their fan base who are really looking forward to Aaron Rodgers well, and uh, the season. They they went all in getting him, like six draft picks trying to get him. They you know they committed to him. You could, it was all over Robert Sala's face in the post-game news conference. He's like, I'm going to start with the quarterback thing right away, and he delivered the bad news. And it was, uh, you could just see in his body language, despite the fact that they won the game, that they were going, we just went from a team that probably could have won, you know, 10, 11, 12 games to a team now that, you know, what what's the upside for the Jets? What do you see? The, you know, is this a 500 team? Yeah, I think it's about a 500 team. I don't see him winning double-digit games this season with Zach Wilson. It is what they were last season, which was seven wins. I, I could see him improving maybe to eight, maybe nine, but... 10, I think, is a little tough. Number two story as you see it. Well, number two, it goes to uh, the Jets and Bills game. There was a bar in Wisconsin, John. They offered free drinks uh, to customers as long as Aaron Rodgers started the Jets opening game on Monday night and the Jets lost. Now, of course, Rodgers played four (laughs) plays, but he technically started. So the fans cheered when they saw Rodgers get hurt and taken off the field started racking up huge tabs because they thought, oh, man, there's no way the Bills are going to lose this game now that Aaron Rodgers is out. But then, of course, like I said, Xavier Gibson does this, and the crowd went silent at the bar. Let me play it. Searching. Sam Martin corrals the snap. It's a short punt. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go! Just win it! Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson! Game over! The punt return makes it so all these people had to pay their tabs, John. Uh, how would you feel in that situation? Uh, I, they got with the, you know, that's gambling. You know, I said it, I wrote it today. 
The only sure way to double your money is to fold it in half, put it in your pocket. You know, they spend it at the bar. How, how do you a, think the bar felt, though? They probably were scared. Oh, they, were they had to, to be a ton of drinks. terrified because it was a worst case for them because not only do you have Rodgers starting the game, okay, that's done, check the box on that part of the parlay. Now all they need to do is the Jets to lose the game, and he goes out four plays in. So you got a bunch of Bills fans going, this is going to be the easiest free tab I've ever had. And it was in Wisconsin, so a lot of people don't like Aaron Rodgers there, so they were all rooting for against him. And uh, I, I, Fun little promotion, though, I will say. Uh, I like it. In Wisconsin. All right, can I play the radio call of that same game-winning punt return? Yeah, do it. All right, here it is. And getting away a line drive kick is Sam Martin. Gibson runs under it at the Jet 35. Starts to his left, gets to the 40, turns the corner, at the 45-50, blockers in front, at the 40, at the Bills 30, inside the 20, stutter steps, to the 10, to the 5, touchdown, and it's a Jet touchdown, this game is over! What a way to end Monday Night Football, Gibson's going to take this one back, 63 yards for the touchdown! There it was. Uh, Jets win. Jets lose Aaron Rodgers. Number three story. So they didn't really win in the long run. But number three, we're staying in the NFL. Jim Trotter, we've talked about him numerous times uh, in Punched Audio and throughout the show. But he is accusing the NFL of refusing to address what he calls longstanding institutional, I can't say the word, institutional, institutional, there we go, discrimination and said his contract was not renewed because he repeatedly repeatedly voiced concerns regarding equity and racial injustice he filed on Tuesday in federal court. Um, he uh, lawsuit. He also cited that Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, Bills owner Terry Pegula, uh, as making racially insensitive comments to him. Uh, Trotter said that the concerns he raised with league executives, including Roger Goodell, regarding those comments and the lack of diversity among NFL teams, uh, media employees fell on deaf ears. Trotter had a statement, quote, the NFL has claimed it wants to be held accountable regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. I tried to do so, and it cost me my job. I'm filing this, filing this lawsuit because I can't complain about things that are wrong if I'm unwilling to fight for what is right, end quote. Of course, Trotter did get fired from the NFL, and he's now with the athletic. It's interesting because he could have a problem because the NFL, uh, uh, you know, look, the NFL controls the NFL network. They control their own media entity. And it's true that Jim Trotter called out Roger Goodell I've written about it. I've talked about it. I think it was wrong. I think it was a bad look for the NFL to, to A, not take action on the things that John, Jim Trotter was asking about. But secondarily, they shortly thereafter, you know, basically don't renew his contract. Um, but there were a lot of other people with the NFL Network and the NFL.com who didn't have their contracts renewed. It'll be interesting to see how they play this, whether they settle it. But, um, you know, Jim Trotter back in February was talking about the fact that he had not heard from the league office, had not heard from anybody about his issues and whether he had asked Roger Goodell about those issues. Have you heard from anyone at the NFL on the uh, on the question and the issue that you discussed with Roger Goodell? I've not heard from anyone from the league office. I've not heard from the senior manager in the newsroom. I've heard from one person, and that is one of the editors um, in the newsroom who I was uh, crossing paths with um, as I entered the stadium. And we had a conversation um, just about why I asked the question that I have, I ask, and where he is on this whole issue. And that is it. And and, And truthfully, Richard, 
I think that's the most disappointing thing to me is, is that if you're serious about this, I mean, really serious about it, genuinely serious about it, and I raised this question to you a year ago, and no one from the league office has reached out to me one time to say, let's have a conversation to see if we can come up with ways to address some of these issues. It makes me question whether or not you're really that serious or whether you're, all of these statements are just performative gestures to kind of deflect what's actually going on. I mean, it's impossible for you to answer, but I just will ask you sort of where your instinct lies. Do you anticipate someone will um, contact you no. in the near term? No. no. If, you haven't done it by, if you haven't done it by now, well, why would you do it going forward? Jim Trotter was subsequently told his contract would not be renewed by the NFL. He's now suing. The number four story. He's the Rockets guard Kevin Porter Jr. He uh, pleaded not guilty to felony assault and strangulation charges in connection with an incident on Monday in Manhattan. Prosecutors say he didn't stop uh, attacking his girlfriend until she ran out into the hallway covered in blood. Porter fractured her vertebrae and there was a deep cut above her eye. Porter was in police custody since his arrest on, on Monday but was released today on $75,000 bail. He's also ordered to stay away from his girlfriend. Now, Porter signed a four-year, $82.5 million deal last October, but it is only partially guaranteed due to Porter's off-court his or history of off-court issues. This goes back all the way to when he was a rookie in Cleveland when there was a, a food-throwing tantrum in the locker room. There was one in Houston where he left the arena at halftime of a game. He missed the start of last season due to personal reasons. There was also a strip club incident with Kevin Porter Jr., 23-year-old. Uh, so Houston, when they signed him in his contract, only the first year was guaranteed. So they can waive him, and they'd only be responsible for one year at $17 million guaranteed on the contract. But Kevin Porter Jr., uh, looks like he may be in a little bit of trouble here. Yeah, he's done. As, I think uh, he's done. Yeah. I, yeah. I think he's done. I mean, if, if he is convicted of what he is accused of, he's done. I mean, and the district attorney came out and said this was a gruesome, uh, you know, domestic violence case. And his girlfriend at the time, who's 26 years old, had a laceration on the right side of her face, and he fractured her neck, uh, you know, and a deep cut by her eye, and it's bad. This is really bad, and I, I will not be surprised when the Rockets in the NBA um, exercise the moral turpitude part of the uh, collective bargaining agreement. I think he's in big trouble here, not just with the legal stuff that he's facing, but with his NBA career. Number five. Number five, so OLBG.com, which, if you don't know what that is, is OnlineBettingGuide.com. They had a poll and re did some research into 2,000 people who watch sports and some uh, fun traditions that they do and rituals that they have as fans. They revealed okay. that 25% of fans <laughs> will carry out unusual rituals ahead oh, yeah. of the game to improve their luck. And of those, while watching at home, 23%, John, have to sit in the same part of the sofa for any game that is played while 24% will kiss a badge of their beloved club or nation. Some more of the uh, information. Do you have a do you have an instinct like that or a, a tradition like no, that? No, I'm very non-traditional and non-superstitious as well. So I, I don't I don't believe in a lot of these things. But some more of the uh, interesting things uh, to avoid they don't curse at their favorite team. 22% will refuse to watch a game with specific people who they deem unlucky. <laughs> One You're unlucky. I can't have you over. Yeah, one in five people do that. Uh, during the playoffs or the tournaments, 23% of sports <laughs> fans even claim they won't wash their uh, their clothes that they're wearing. Is this good? That's the right way. And they'll wear it the next day. 
18% will call in a higher power and say a prayer if they feel their team uh, needs a boost. Overall, 58% of respondents believe in luck, both good and bad, and 1 in 10 believe that their favorite sports team or personality is generally unlucky, which I kind of feel that with the Blazers. They are unlucky. The Jets. The Jets. I feel like the Jets. The Jets perfectly <laughs> as, though, as well. And then of those who uh, sport rituals, 91% of the people in this poll genuinely believe the outcome of the event has been impacted by their pre-event ritual. That's amazing to me that it's that high. I do, I do think there's such a thing as luck, but I do I think you position yourself for it. And I do think that like sometimes the ball just bounces funny and teams deal with it differently. And I do think that like you look at the New York Jets and you say they're unlucky, they're unlucky, but let's unpack it. It's to the point where you were saying they take a 39, 40-year-old quarterback in a trade and they give up so much. So now they've placed all of this emphasis, all of this priority that and, you know the entire season hinges upon an older quarterback and you've given up so much it puts an incredible amount of pressure on it win or lose and now go stay healthy for the for the regular season the fact that Aaron Rodgers got hurt so early in the year you could blame that on bad luck but you could also just say hey this is like a 39 40 year old guy and quarterbacks of that age tend to have injuries he should have gone all in with a guy who you know Maybe at the end of his career, didn't even know if he wanted to play this season. He went on that darkness retreat. Remember, John, he was thinking if he was going to retire, a retirement. So I I generally don't believe in this kind of ritual stuff. Uh, I wasn't very superstitious at all when I played sports, but I get it. Like, it is uh, it is a real thing, and I find it very interesting. Were you superstitious when you played I, I, sports? I'm not, I'm not a superstitious person, but I don't unnecessarily um, flaunt it. Like, you know, if I'm in, playing a baseball game and I played college baseball – I, I would step over the foul line. I was gonna say I, I'm just, step on the lines. I'm just Did not the gonna mess with it. Yeah, I'm just not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna mess with superstition. I'm not gonna go out of my way. Okay, but I wasn't somebody, and I'm not somebody to this day who has to sit in the same spot or wear the same clothes or do any of that. I'm way too in the moment, busy with what I'm doing to even think that way. You know, I'll look up and go, "Oh, the game's on." Where am I? What am I watching it on? I'll, I I live in the now. You know, I don't have that. Like, for 14 years, I've sat in the same spot on the sofa. Can't do that. I like I like to think that you, you create your own luck. That that's my yeah. kind of thought process. But my brother just texted me. He said because uh, he's a big Steelers fan. When they were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, he uh, was invited to a Super Bowl party. He said, "No, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl in my room because I want to watch it by myself and I can't." And they were superstitious that way, and uh, they won. So there you go. Well, Bruce Barnum's coming up, Portland State football coach. I'm going to ask him if he's superstitious. Do you think Barnum's superstitious? Do you think he's a uh, oh, superstition person? I think he has some superstitions because he's a football guy. I do feel like there's probably something he does every single week that is a little okay. little out of the ordinary. I'll go, yeah. I'm going to say... I'm going to say he does have a superstition as well. I think he's quirky that way. But let's find out what it is. And I'll ask him that coming up. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. Well, anybody who listens to this show knows that we have a lot of love and respect for Portland State football in this show. Vikings are 0-2 this season. They played Wyoming last week, uh, held their own 31-17, lost to Wyoming. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, is here to check in. The Vikings will be at home this week. Home opener. They will be out in Hillsboro Saturday at 1 o'clock. You can get tickets at GoVikes.com. They will be playing North American. Then they have their conference Big Sky opener 
A week from Saturday, Cal Poly will be visiting Portland State. Bruce Barnum getting to play teams that are uh, going to be beatable in the next couple of weeks. Can I say that? Uh, Bruce Barnum's with us. How are you? Hey. How you doing, John? Thanks for having us. 31-17. Let's unpack that game before we move forward. It was uh, 21-10 at half. How were you feeling at halftime? You know, John, we had two turnovers in the first half. Never, you know, that, that's not us. That's not our M.O. We, we, that's uh, one of our goals. Two turnovers hurt us, one down, and they scored. They had 14 off turnovers, so that's what we lost by. Um, you know, without that, uh, I thought we played a little at the beginning, a little deer in the headlights. But, you know, by uh, the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, I said, all right, I like this team. You know, we couldn't catch up right right at the end. We threw a ball in the end zone. Guy, you know, trying to get it, we would have, we were down 14. We drove down the field, minute left, you know, fourth down, throwing the end zone. Guy, Cheetah, jumps on my guy's back. You know, before the ball, I'm, and I don't bitch about calls, but that one, I'm like, what is PI? You know, if that we maybe score there, onside kick. We're still having fun with it, you know. Um, but in, in game, when we when we play FBS teams, you know, Wyoming's, you know, they're a tough group, but they're not Oregon. Um, uh, we don't have to be perfect, but we can't make. Uh, mistakes, giving them the ball, you know, close to the line that you score on. That buried us a little bit early. Couldn't catch up. Are you superstitious? <laughs> if I, if you ask, that's a funny question. Somebody just told me I was. If you ask me, I say no. Yeah, right. So let's, un- let's unpack that. All right. So give me just kind of your pre-game ritual night before the ritual do you have like a meal that you eat that's the same do you have no. a route that you take that's the same do you wear the same clothes do you what do you do well uh, the only meal is uh grits um morning of the game uh, okay. uh grits how many grits you know and about actually this year they don't they don't get it much because the whole team doesn't eat them. You know, I'm feeding 150 mouths and pregame. You know, you get all the brekkie stuff out there, depending on what time the game is. And I go right to the grits bowl and you know throw a couple eggs in there and crumble up a piece of bacon if it's if it's uh, crunchy and you know a little pepper and that's what I eat. That's what I'm, I'm used to. But I went to the grits bowl at Wyoming's. And it was half gone. I'm like, well, what's going on here? Because it's usually I get, like, the first dip out of it, you know, and it's that nice, smooth bucket of comedy mm-hmm. grits. But it was almost gone. I was down to, like, you know, the bottom, when you see the bottom of the oatmeal. Yeah. And it's all, you're scraping the dry stuff. I'm like, what the hell is this? Um, you know, knock on wood once in a while. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. But, you know, I used to be a Diet Coke a soda pop uh, right before the game, you know, because when I guzzle, I'm probably my gullet's probably different. If I guzzle Coke, I like to guzzle. Uh, I, it has to be cold, uh, ice cold Coke. And then when you walk it out, you don't let him, you have to walk. You find a place where nobody's going to see you. When you guzzle it really fast, you belch, and that kind of gets me ready for the sideline, you know. <laughs> but I didn't do that this game. You know, uh-huh. I drank a green apple Gatorade or 
something. It was tasty, but you know, I'm I'm trying to get felt. I stopped drinking soda pop. Yeah, I know it's bad for you, but it, you know, sometimes you need one. Uh, Bruce Barnum with us. You are superstitious. You literally knocked on wood last <laughs> week. You said knock um, on wood, and you can hear you go knock, knock, knock. Were you surprised the ear thing went viral? You know, yes. we talked about the organ thing. It went nuts. It went bananas. I, that somebody, one of my, somebody from the East Coast texted me, a coach I know back there and said, Barnum, what the hell? You know, and then I had another guy, uh, one of my people texted me, you know, does, he, does he wear jewelry? Is that why? <laughs> and they're asking all these questions. I'm like, I don't know. You know, but yeah, for people who don't up. know, you came on the show. We were talking about injuries after the Oregon game, and you said, "Well, I had one guy get his ear ripped off, and you know, had to get it put back on." And then we talked about it, and then the sound of that, the sound clip of that, we we tweeted it out after the show, and like everybody picked it up. Jim, Jim Rome picked it up. It went all over the, you know, everybody on the internet picked it. It's the perfect thing. An ear getting ripped off. No one could believe it, and it's the truth is the guy just had like. You know, part of his ear detached, more or less, right, just right. Like, ripped away from his head. It wasn't like a full ear was laying on the turf, was it? Well, no, no, it wasn't in his helmet. It was still there. It was hanging, you know, bloody. It looked like, you know, yeah. one of those old boxing matches from the 40s when, you know, Muhammad Ali's getting pounded, and pounded, and pounded, and then he wins in the 12th with a knockout yeah. and all that. But, no, it was there. It was still there. You know, if you look at it normal, you know, but you read the injury report. We get an injury report, which is probably a, you know, a, a JEPA thing or a, there's, I got a rule I can't talk medical. HIPAA. What's HIPAA. that called? HIPAAs. HIPAAs. Yeah. You know, I, I was reading that and it said ear torn off or ear torn or something. I said, wow, what are you, what are you talking about? So I called the kid. How you doing? I didn't see your ear on the floor. And he's like, coach, I'm fine. And I figured if he's on the phone, you know, uh, everything was square. Everything was still working. If he has a phone to his ear. Yeah, right. Or he's using the other ear. Uh, but it was based on it. Okay, so you play two games. You play you play Oregon. You play Wyoming. You're zero and two. But really, this is about you know you made money on those two games, and I I can't remember off the top of my head what you got for the Wyoming game. Was it was it like five fifty five sixty five? Well, yeah, you know, you know, John. I try to make. I wrote. I I write a postcard to my parents. I try every day, but during the season, it's a bit. It's tough. But yeah. you know, I wrote to them. I said, "Well, zero and two. I said, but a million dollars richer. So here we go. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So it is what it is. Again, next year, I told you. Um, I, I scheduled 10 FCS instead of 8, but, you know, we'll get after it. Uh, I, I, again, I, my team fought through that whole game. That was cool to see. My team got better at Wyoming, you know. They got they were better heads and tails than they were at Oregon. Um, now let's see what we can do. we got, you know, people that are uh, – we have a non-league this week, and then we start conference, uh, That, like I said, and the rest are FCS. So, ready to go. Bruce Barnum with us. Uh, you'll get your home opener, and hopefully you get some people to show up uh, out at Hillsboro, support the effort, support the team. I do encourage people, if you want to see a college football game on Saturday, uh, get out and see uh, Bruce Barnum's program play. But tell us what you know about your opponent. Um, I didn't know a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. We didn't have a game. I didn't have 
you know, we had some brass. The scheduling kind of fell back, and uh, we 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 scheduled this game late. North American out of Houston, Texas, and, you know, and we played two at their NAU. We play NAU. We're, we're playing NAU home and away this year. That's how I'm looking at yeah. it. Do you They're have well to pay coached. them? Do you have to pay them to come to you? Yes, yes, we're paying them. Are you paying them a half um, a million dollars? No, not in, min, minimal uh, okay. to what we make. You know, okay. nothing close to three. Okay. Because, but, you know, it's they had to add a game. We had I added this game. I think it was I think, the brass added it in June, late June. I'm like, what? Who's that? But, um, it is what it is. We're gonna we're preparing. I'm probably we're probably coaching these kids harder this week than any week. They're like, what the hell is going on? I mean, because I'm not. I'm gonna make sure we show up and start hard, heavy, or fast, and, and go. We have to get ready uh, for conference. And I still don't know who we are, John. You know, I played two FPS, two tough-ass teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go to a team that's a lower level than us, or, or two. And then we get into, I'll find out who we are two weeks from now, honestly, when Cal Poly shows up. I think it's interesting. I think I'm fascinated by it. It's almost like you have two different seasons that that are that coincide. Um, what do you want to get out of this week? And and tell me this: how how healthy are you guys leaving those two games? Aside from the ear. Well, one, I'm dealing with one situation right now. I'm playing a lot of freshmen. One of my freshmen has a situation we're dealing with that I didn't think it would you know, be an operation, but it looks like it might be, but I talked to the doctor yesterday, just one, one person I'm dealing with, everybody else is great, so on, the, on in those regards, you know, um, I think we're smart, I'm smarter than past years, you know, what I did at Oregon, uh, you know, I, I've never done that before, but I think it helped, you know, I think now I'm going into a season healthier with a group that uh, is, is coming together. So hey, I, I gave you that Oregon deal. I told you he was going to win that one, but I watched yeah, the end but, of it. I watched the end of it. Holy jumping catfish! <laughs> well, that's why he's in New York. You know, he can nix anybody. He comes in. You know, he's, yeah. he was a cool dude. I thought. The you know? uh, do you think I here, here's a theory I had on Oregon's performance at Texas Tech, and it's no disrespect to you guys, but the score was so lopsided in your game that it almost felt like that was Oregon's week one game against Texas Tech because I don't know of how much play their starters got in that week one with you guys, and it felt like they were a little sloppy, they had a lot of penalties, and I was kind of just wondering, like, did the fact that your game got so out of hand affect them? I thought about that because they pulled everybody. You know, he he yeah. didn't try to he didn't try to get a snowman or move on and see if he could score triple and really go viral on Barnum, but... He didn't try. It just happened that way. But I can see your point there, you know. And I think they did. I think the Texas team, though, they learned a little bit. You know, didn't that kid run for uh, what a hundred yards? The quarterback. Yeah, um, Bo Nix or or Tyler Schott. No, the other kid. Tyler Schott. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the one thing you know that they probably got from our because our our quarterback ran a little bit. We didn't mm-hmm. trust me. We didn't do much against Oregon, but we were able to cut him loose a couple times. And I saw that 
the Lubbock kid ran for a little bit. So they get that scored up, they'll be a good team. Let me ask you, um, you know, everybody always says biggest improvement week one to week two. Do you buy that? I do with the team I have right now. You know, we learned some things and we fixed them. You know, uh, my deal here, I'm, everybody's different. It's, it's like every job's different, every, everything. My deal is now I'm 0-2, you know, that's what I'm dealing with. You know, how can I keep these guys believing and, and fighting and motivated? And thank God for my leadership and my my older kids. But I think every school is different. If you got a bunch of vets who've been rolling through it, you know, if a, if you have a bunch of young people, I think you see that learning curve a little more. You know, if you have new coaches, I think you see it more the second week. It depends on the team and the operation. Do the guys understand that in the first two weeks of the season you were essentially raising $575,000 to play Oregon, $400,000 to play at Wyoming? That's damn near a million dollars that will fund not just your program but the rest of the athletic department. Do they get that? Yeah, I, I think they do because uh, everybody listens to you for crap's sake. I mean, you're the, you ask why why'd the year go viral? It's because you got all them damn listeners. But... Um, <laughs> So I think they hear it, too. And Lund, you know, he throws it all around. Hey, listen to Barney on Gonzano's show. You know, it's like we got to get some of your guys on the show. I would like to get Isaiah That'd Henry That'd be better. On. That'd be nah, better than why you had me on. I'm not going to lie to you. There's nobody right now. I'm afraid people are in their car punching the – oh, you don't even punch a button anymore. You know, I no. used to punch that button. All right. Uh, yeah. To switch stations and no. light a cigarette—that's what they're doing now. I would, I would like uh, our God, listeners. Rick, it's no, Barnum. no, I would like to prove you wrong. And here's what I'm going to say, listeners: If you're listening and you love hearing Bruce Barnum on the show every week, you may not be a diehard Portland State fan, but you just find him entertaining and interesting. Call in at 503-417-7575 and tell him that so he doesn't think that he's just on this show because hey, we're having the Portland State coach. I don't do that kind of show. I don't do the kind of show where I where I just say, hey, let's have him on just because he's the right guy. To, if You're on every week because you're entertaining. Uh, next topic. <laughs> Who should I have on? Who's your guy? Who's your guy that I should have on? Like, I'm interested in, like, Isaiah Henry, your linebacker. I think he's a good story. He's a good story. If you go from his first – we talked about this. We're at Oregon. Um, as if he's a freshman, I brought all the freshmen down. That's when that was his freshman year, last time we were down there. And I punched, I called him in after that game and about punched him in the neck for some of the things that happened. And you know, just from seeing his growth and maturity and uh, his compassion throughout and to where he is now as a captain, he's a good story. I got a lot okay. of good stories on all this right. team. All right, hold on. I got the phone lines are full. We're going to put some of these people on. Uh, let's go to right Dan, now, and, Dan and West Lynn. You're on with Coach Barnum. Go ahead. Tell them why you like listening to him. Coach Barnum, I love listening to you because my coach, Arn Ferguson, was very similar to you. Um, a certain style from a certain era. I respect it. Balling with Barnum. We love you. I'm not punching the button and I'm not lighting a cigarette. I'm here for more, <laughs> Coach. Bring it. <laughs> I love that. See? All right, let's go to another one. Daniel is in Salem, Oregon. You're big in Salem. Tell him how big, Daniel. Oh, I gotta love that when you talk about your ear being ripped off and it gets all the way viral. I mean, that's why you're relatable. We can relate to you. We can talk football. We understand it that way. Thank you very much, Daniel in Salem. 
Let's go to Lake Oswego. Fred is in Lake Oswego. Fred, why do you like hearing from Coach Barnum? Oh, hey, Coach Barnum. Uh, I think you're the most real coach with the most honest answers I've ever heard in my life. I, I love listening to you. And uh, best of luck to uh, to the Vikes the rest of the game, the season. There you go. See? Fred in Lake Oswego. Yeah. How do you think you are in Beaverton? Let's find out. Mark's in Beaverton. Mark, tell him. Coach Barnum, you, my dad grew up in Oklahoma. I've got uncles that are in their 90s. And uh, if you remember the Dukes of Hazard and uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane, you remind <laughs> me of my Uncle Raymond. Keep, keep, keep him, Duke. And, uh, you know, I love the over-under of uh, how many times you're going to swear on the air because <laughs> Judah, Judah needs to get on the ball because yep. this one. I love it. Thank you, Mark and Beaverton. I'm going to keep going. Ian is in Park Rose. Ian, tell Coach why you like hearing from him. Hey, Coach Barnum. I, I love everything about you. I just I can't wait to hear the next story you're going to tell. And every time uh, you're on, uh, you just crack me up. I'm just busting up. See? There you go. All right. See? Told you. Wow. All right. All They've right. spoken. They, I need to get those guys some shirts. You know? <laughs> We didn't hear from, like, Milwaukee or Clackamas. I don't know if you're big there, but you're big everywhere else. You know, <laughs> Woodburn didn't weigh in yet, but it'll happen. Uh, like, um, have you always been this Woodburn's way? At, you... Woodburn's at that shopping mall right by the edge. They're busy. <laughs> and a racetrack. They got a racetrack down there. How about in Washington, though? We haven't checked Washington. Let's go to Dave in Vancouver. Dave, does Bruce Barnum's charm extend to the southern tip of Washington? It does. So I live in Vancouver, but I work in Camas, and I see a customer about two, three times a week. Her name's Connie Wyatt, and her husband is Hugh Wyatt, and he says he knows Bruce. Okay. He was a he's a retired high school football coach on this side of the river, and uh, big time. Anyway, yeah. but I always All tell right. them, oh, hey, he was on on Tuesday. And comes so on on Tuesdays, they, yeah. They, they, like, look it up and and listen to it. Anyway, right. I do that. Thank you. Thank you, David, for sharing that. I love that. I want to go to one more. I want to go to I want to go to Eugene. Um, <laughs> let me see who's there. Paul is in Eugene. Go ahead, Paul. You're on with Coach Barnum. Coach Barnum, you had me when you told the audience that you send your parents postcards every week. <laughs> Good it. Lord, I love you. I live in Eugene, and I don't give a damn about Vikes football, but I listen to you on Jackson. See? There you go. There you go. What we need to do is we need to harness this, and we need to funnel it right into Hillsborough Stadium on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Right. Now, they can need to Google map that deal. Of all these people, I'll take one more. Keith's in Milwaukee, because I said nobody from Milwaukee. Does he resonate in Milwaukee, Keith? Yes, he does. I want to say thank you to Coach uh, Barnum for giving my nephew Nicholas Assam uh, his chance and his break. Uh, we all wanted him to be an Oregon Duck, but it was the Vikes that gave him a shot. And I, I thank you for that, Coach Barnum. You're a real man. Love it. Love that. Thank you. You know, that's a cool – you know why that's a cool one? Why? Because that's why you do it. You know, Nick Assam came here and same thing. You know, he walks in as a – a pup, and you're like, oh my gosh! And he walks out of here, a man, you know, ready for the next forty. That, that was that was a good one there. I'm hoping you're screening these. Every time you play one of these, though, 
oh, let's go to such and such in Singapore. I'm waiting for some guy to come on and say, hey, you son of a, you know, (laughs) you jack. You remember when you did this? Well, yeah. But see. Get Judah on that button. uh, You see what happens here. You know, we never heard from Clackamas. I am still worried. Oh, wait a minute. We got Clackamas now. Logan and Clackamas, go ahead. Hey, you remind me of Mike Leach. Every time I listen, I love it. I can't get enough of it. Keep it coming. All right. See? Boom. Mic drop. All right. All right. How did that feel? Is it time for Anna? No. Hey, I was nervous. I mean, and say, hey, you you know, you, you piece of junk. No. No, I think what we need, though, see, here's the thing. You are, um, I think you're relatable, and I think you're honest, and I think people appreciate that because we don't get enough of that, and especially from coaches who don't want to say the wrong thing, who always, you know, come on and kind of tiptoe around it. I think it's refreshing. I do think there's some translation that gets lost from people – Liking listening to you, I think we need to find a way to get people to your stadium. How do we get people to your stadium to see you at 1 o'clock on Saturday or, or go check out the Cal Poly game? How do we do all that? I, I don't know. Let's figure that one out. Let me think about that one. Think I mean, about that's that good. One. I it's do, because not... it would be great to have a half of them just come and watch my team play. I think they'd say, all right, they're, they're play their ass off. They play the game right. You know, they don't dance and dress. They don't care how they dress. They they just play the game, you know. Anyway. I like it. Uh, Saturday, 1 o'clock, Hillsborough Stadium. Portland State will have their home opener. And then a week from Saturday, they'll have Cal Poly in the Big Sky opener. There are plenty of opportunities this season. They'll have Idaho State at home and Eastern Washington at home. They get Montana at home in November. Plenty of opportunities to get you out and see a game. Coach Bruce Barnum, you're big time everywhere. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for having us, Sean. There he goes. I actually think you moved him. Steven, A, he's superstitious as hell. (laughs) He proved that. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Well, I'm not superstitious, but I do this with the grits, and then I do but that. But I eat the same thing. I drink the same thing. I drive the same way. I wear the same clothes for every game. I'm not superstitious, though. I didn't burp before the game. Come on. Yeah, he was down to a burp. He had to burp before the game, John. Yeah. But the second part of that interview where he you know, was like, people are yelling at their radios, and the listeners of the show just like, you get it. Listeners, you get it. Like, you're part of the show. You know. I I call upon you to tell me like is this is this guy working for you or not? You light up the phone lines for like a scatter shot, a perfect scatter shot of the you know from Eugene to Vancouver and everywhere in between of people going, no, I love this. This is real. This is awesome. I get why you have him on. So why does everybody else ignore Portland State? That they ignore him. Other media members, shame on you. You ignore Portland State. Why? One of the largest colleges, if not the largest, when it comes to enrollment in the state. It's a team that comes out. I, I'm biased because they come out and they they uh, work at Camp Exceptional, and I see it up close. And at the end of it, I can't help but go, gosh, I wish the community would get behind these guys. Like, I get it. It's not Pac-12 football. It's not Power 5 football. I understand it. But, man, when you meet these kids and you see them working with other kids – I can't help but go, gosh, I really hope people show up Saturday at Hillsborough Stadium at 1 o'clock to see this team play. Leave it here. I think Bruce Barnum 
was genuinely moved by what happened in that last segment. I really do. Steven, do you get that impression that there was some genuine heartfelt sentiment? Like, I think he was surprised and moved because I think if you're Portland State, you just got beat 31-14 and 81-7 in your first two games. You probably are thinking, like, you know, there's some people out there making you a joke of you and, and looking down upon you. Yeah, you could tell it, it meant a lot to him just to hear those good things and that the fans are tuning in for him. Like, they, they, they're going out of their way to listen to those interviews because they are that good. That interview was great, so I, it really moved him, and it was it was fun to hear that. I would not just have any old person on every Tuesday at 520 to talk about football. Bruce Barnum's on because it's Bruce Barnum and, you know, Portland State gets uh, gets the love because of it. Uh, they'll play at 1 o'clock on Saturday in their home opener if you want to see a football game in person. Very affordable, good for families. Go check it out. We're back tomorrow with another great show, The Bald Face Truth. Not here for a long time, just a good time.